We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Pilato, coming to you on a Saturday afternoon with the game film analysis on the Giants offense. All 22 coaches film. You'll, in the next out two hours or so, probably get to see the end zone angle. The sideline angle. We'll break down key throws, key plays for those of you who are new to the show. For those of you who are returning, you know what the deal is here. So we'll talk about this Dallas Giants Week 12 game on Thanksgiving. Offense to me, Nick, better than I expected on film in the first half. Second half, sometimes you just get these weird game flow, game script type games like this one where it's just like the Giants defense couldn't get off the field, quite frankly. Like they were on the field for the first eight minutes of the second half. And then they're on the field again for a while. And the offense had limited opportunities in that second half, and it showed. And ultimately, they bogged down in the second half. They had some garbage time stats, which we don't really care about. Um, and don't really impact anything, but did help people cover the spread. Um, so <laughs> let's dive into this thing shortly on the first drive. But actually, before we do that, is, is there anything overall you wanted to discuss? First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving, Dan. What was the best thing that you ate on Thanksgiving? We should start there, Dan. Oh, um, I talked about this on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, actually. So I, I answered this question. Right? For some reason, I thought we discussed it, but it was on another podcast. But um, actually, my pops, shout out Ron Schneier. He's definitely going to be watching this and listening to this. But it <laughs> is man. the truth. It is the best thing I had. He does like a unorthodox thing on Thanksgiving. Like we have like the normal dishes, the turkey, like I don't know, the sweet potato with the marshmallow, all that stuff that you normally get. Um, but he makes this like flank steak on the grill with a really good marinade or it's a skirt steak on the grill with a really good marinade and it's so freaking good and so i i carved up a few pieces of that and i had that and that was the best thing i ate i think my favorite thing my girlfriend really went all out this year but it was probably the sweet potato casserole that she made with uh, some brown sugar on top and some uh, pecans and stuff like that so is it pecans or pecans i feel like when i say pecans I, i sound like a pretentious douche but i'm not really sure i say pecan but a lot of people say it's pecan i don't know I don't care. Yeah. Before we get okay. into the Giants, you ate a uh, sweet potato casserole with brown sugar in it. What have you done in the 48 hours since Thanksgiving to make up for what you did on that day? Oh, it, it's been a very busy 
busy couple days because of the New York yeah. Giants, but I had to go to the gym. And then I also had to go on a nice long run yesterday as, <laughs> as long as I could with my knees, because I, I couldn't do it from a mental standpoint, as I'm sure you're aware of. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. I'll be going on it after this podcast gets edited and everything like yeah, that. You got to make up for that, that one day of bad eating. I've eaten like crap the past few days. I, I was doing so well until Thanksgiving, but we'll, we'll get, I'll get back on track, but let's get back on track with the Giants few things we'll talk about throughout this podcast I want to bring up. One, the Giants did a good job of using Daniel Jones' athletic ability again to get him on the move against a really good defensive line, something similar to what we've seen in the past. Two, there is a silver lining to this game, and this will be the lead title for those who are listening or watching on YouTube. Nick Gates, man. Nick Gates had some really good tape in this one, and it was really great to see in his first start at center this season him be able to do what he was able to do basically before he was injured with the Giants. I was never sure he was ever going to return to football after that injury. It was the Alex Smith gruesome knee injury. It was some people thought it was a career ender. He's back on the field. He's looking good. And we'll talk about it at the end because I want to do a segment on while we do the superlatives, like your ideal offensive line rest of season. But Nick Gates will be the center in my ideal offensive line. And I wouldn't turn back at this point. Yeah, I really appreciated everything I saw from Nick Gates. You want to talk about just like a foxhole guy, all the cliches, man, eats glass, all that. I mean, I tweeted that and it's it's very uh, it lives up to the expectations he does in terms of all those cliches, just how tough he is out there. And you could see him just finishing blocks at the end, almost getting into fights. He really plays to the fine line of of being a very aggressive player or almost ripping somebody's head off. And I appreciate that type of mentality as long as he doesn't take dumb penalties but in terms of one thing that i noticed from the offense i would say it's the the game plan essentially revolved around play action slide type plays get the defense right. moving in one direction out of shotgun it could be at a single back my kafka did at a variety of different formations use the play action pass to roll daniel jones out it's not the play action bootleg even though they did use that but a lot of the times it was at a shotgun and they would have the h back from the perceived play side just come across the formation daniel jones would fake the handoff to saquon barkley who was aligned to his right and then just take it and then just roll out to his right and now he has essentially three a three level read from somebody coming from the backside, which was typically Isaiah Hodgins, Kenny Galladay, or Darius Slayton clearing out, and then that tight end, whoever it was, Chris Myrick, Lawrence Cager, kind of coming underneath. So I appreciated the fact that Giants tried to get those simple, easy passes out of Daniel Jones's hands to slow down that pass rush and also pick up some, I would say, relatively easy yardage, right? In the NFL, no yardage is easy, but the Giants, no one thought they were going to come out and pass the football a lot, but they did on that first drive. And the first play of the game was a 20-yard gain to Lawrence Cager on this same exact type of play. We see the same design kind of happen throughout the entire game. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job of using Saquon Barkley as quote-unquote eye candy. And shout out Tom, who's a new listener of the podcast, but a big listener and a big fan um, who, I, who I saw last night. Shout out Tom, because I never know how to pronounce his last name, Tom. I never know how to pronounce your name. I think it's Begiz Begizinski. But I'm not positive on that. So you could uh, struggle there. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't great. And so it wasn't as close as I wanted it to be. I never know how to pronounce his last name when I see it on the list. But um, as you mentioned, I say eye candy a lot. But that's what we're talking about. I mean, they use Saquon Barkley as eye candy. They did a great job of motioning him in orbit motion or just kind of faking the handoff with him in one direction, getting the defense to move with Barkley. And then, like you said, doing something off that play action or off that play faker, off the motion with Barkley to another player on the other side of the field. That's what you want to do. You want to use your players like that. Um, if they're not going to get the ball, use them as a decoy. So I like that, too. 
that was definitely something that was interesting to see on this game film. But Nick, let's dive into the tape and we'll take a look at some of these other concepts and things that the Giants ran and had some success with. First drive of the game, they found a little bit of success, like you said, with the first play of the game with Cager, but it ended up being a four-play, 27-yard drive that ended in a punt. And look at the first play. If you watch the Dallas Cowboys defense, because this is going to be a play-action rollout, if you want to call it that, to the boundary side. The entire Cowboys defense pays attention to Saquon Barkley in the shotgun going into the mesh point with Daniel Jones. They all flow to essentially inside of the of the hash. Cager is already outside the hash. He catches the football around the numbers and picks up 20 yards. And I also appreciate the fact that the Giants use Richie James in motion. If we see it from the sideline view here before from a bunch with Cager, he motions Richie James to see what the defense is in, to see how the defense is going to react. But if you look at the Dallas defense, they're in a too high look pre-snap. And once Daniel Jones motions Richie James from the field side where that bunch is, where Cager is. Remember, he's going to come to the other side of the field to catch the pass. That safety in too high, Jerron Curse comes down into the box and then matches Richie James. So Richie James just runs a wheel and clears out Curse. And now with, I believe that's Isaiah Hodgins running an inside breaking streak. There's no one for Lawrence Cager to have to combat with. Little wrinkle of just bringing Richie James over to clear out that safety really worked for the New York Giants. I felt like this was an excellent play design. Yeah, it's a cool design because it clears out that space for Cager, like you said, while also using motion, while also using Barkley to draw the attention of the defensive back, uh, defense in the other direction. So excellent first play of the game here for the Giants, which sets up a first and 10 bootleg play by the Giants, which are just able to get two yards to. We've seen them run this play often in recent weeks with Barkley. This one was close for me. I think it could have been a much bigger gain if Demarcus Lawrence wasn't able to kind of redirect and spin Barkley as he's trying to get into his break because there is space you can see if he doesn't have to kind of spin around and adjust. But um, unfortunately, he does, and it kind of slows Barkley down. And by that point, the second-level guys can get to, can, can react and get to him. Absolutely. And I think Lawrence does a good job just kind of holding Barkley just for a second. And Jones fires the football. When Barkley catches this football, he's outside the numbers. And the person in charge of covering him falls for the play action element of this, puts himself in the middle of the field. And now he has to work over contact with Chris Myrick and Jerron Curse to, to get to Saquon Barkley. But I feel like whoever that is, number 33, does a good job kind of getting out there. And Barkley ends up tripping over his feet to set up a second and eight. And it's not illegal contact, right? Because it's within the first five yards, what Lawrence does there. Honestly, I'm not 100% certain if, if that okay. would be because it's not necessarily... Because he grabs a hold of him. I wouldn't call this, so I wouldn't say it's a legal contact. He's not 100% sure if Barkley's going to block him, I guess would be his excuse. I think at this point, Demarcus Lawrence fully knows what's going on. He sees Daniel right. Jones on the rollout, so he just kind of reaches out and grabs Barkley, but I'm not going to, to throw a fit the fact that they didn't call it in that situation. There are plenty of calls in this game or non-calls that I think we could throw a fit about, though. Okay. Sets up a second and eight, and this is one of my favorite plays of the game for the Giants because it indicates they're willing to do new things. It's a second and eight, and they design a shot play against the middle of the field safety look to Darius Slate. Now, why is this important to me? Well, I feel like this team hasn't really taken many shots downfield on second and long situations, on second and short situations, on third and short situations specifically. I love when teams go deep on third and short, which is kind of an unexpected down to go deep on. A lot of their shot plays, and they haven't had many this year, to me have come on first and 10, 
or after a quick change, uh, you know, change in like play, like if they got a turnover, they've taken some shots. So I love to see them actually, you know, take a chance here on second and eight, not worrying about like, oh no, if we miss this, we'll go into third and eight or whatever. And it's a good look for the Giants. Middle of the field safety closes, as you guys can see on the film, which means that, look, you can trust Darius Slayton to win vertically on the outside, the corners up on the line of scrimmage, which I think also helps. He gets a nice release off the line of scrimmage. Jones puts a solid ball up there, especially with the pressure. If it's an outside shoulder, to be honest, it's probably a touchdown. It's a little inside by a few yards and just a little too much for Slayton to make the play. Yeah, Slayton just misses this, and I really like this play for a lot of reasons, primarily because you need to leverage Darius Slayton's best skill set, which is probably his speed and his explosiveness, and you need to threaten this Dallas Cowboys defense vertically, and that's exactly what the New York Giants did on this, what, third play of the game, because everybody knows you want to give the football up to Saquon Barkley. No, we're going to take a shot. Dallas loves to run middle of the field, closed cover three match, cover three, and then cover one type of defenses. They love those types of looks. So if you can look the safety off successfully, you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one matchup outside. And if you look, this isn't Trevon Diggs that Darius Slayton is going up against. It's Anthony Brown. And Anthony Brown is impressed against Darius Slayton, who is very fast and very explosive. I think Daniel Jones does a great job holding that safety in the middle of the field before coming back and hitting this one-on-one -on -one matchup. I like these shot plays. I will say they're starting to become a little predictable because who's the personnel package out here, Dan, right now? It's Richie James, yeah, Marcus, Levin, Johnson. Yeah. Marcus Johnson. So every time the Giants align Marcus Johnson and Darius Slayton outside the numbers on the second and long situations, a lot of those times it's been a two shot play against the middle of the field, close single right. high look. This is like the third time that I can remember a lot of the times the giants don't align two guys outside the numbers. So just a tendency that we're starting to pick up on here. Either way, I love this play. And I also like what Daniel Jones does with his eyes. We'll see it a little bit better on the end zone copy, how he holds that middle of the field, close safety. If the end zone copy ever goes, there we go. Look at the stripe of Daniel Jones's helmet. He knows he has that one-on-one -on -one matchup, and he holds that safety the entire time. If this play was was completed, this is a big reason why is because of Daniel Jones's eyes to hold that safety that long. I think that's a very underrated play from the quarterback. Yeah, for sure. Great play by Jones to hold the safety to his eyes. What are your th uh, well? Let me first ask by saying this because later in the game they also. I thought first of all I want to say that was a great observation by you. It, it will become predictable for other teams. They're, if we are able to notice it, then opposing defensive coordinators are obviously able to notice something like that. So maybe they should they should leave Hodgins in on their next design shot play for Slayton. Uh, one more thing on this play. What are your thoughts on potentially leaving this ball a little further to the right by Jones so it goes over the outside shoulder? Yeah, that would be the ideal placement for this ball from Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones maybe felt the pressure and the ball placement wasn't perfect. It's a catchable ball, but it's not an easy catch. There's some contact with Anthony Brown and Darius Slayton here, but it looks like it's initiated maybe a little bit by Slayton. You can see Slayton kind of grabbing Anthony Brown's inside shoulder, almost like in a hug. And then as Slayton brings his hand up around, he hits Brown's helmet. I feel like that kind of threw him off kilter a little bit. Ideally, for me, I think Jones needs to put this just a little bit more high, a little bit outside, and this could have been a completed pass. Ball placement was not perfect. I liked everything else about this play, though, from Jones. Yeah, and it's a tough throw, so we're not trying to. I'm not trying to nitpick here and say, "Oh my God, how did he miss this?" This is a freaking tough throw. I mean, even to get that outside shoulder, to hit that outside shoulder is a tough. You know, it's a big distance throw. Like you said, 54, uh, 64 loses his block at the end there. Glinski, who had a really rough game, um, worst game by down. far. 
trending downward for a while. I mean, he's had a lot of bad games for me. I guess this could bet that be considered. I would agree this is the worst game I've seen, but I'm trying to remember the one earlier this year that was like just as ugly to me. And I'm forgetting now. Do you, you might remember. You have better recall on this stuff. But he had one in pass pro earlier this year that was just as bad to me, or or just a tad worse. But it's yeah, kind of been all season. Like he's it really he hasn't. Had- he hasn't had one good game really in pass pro. Yeah, and honestly, the the since the running game has been stifled by so many opposing defenses, my thought of him as a starter is really starting to wing. So we haven't seen those big run blocking plays that we saw earlier in the season. Like some of the blocks he threw against Tennessee were phenomenal from the backside on power gap, right. climbing up and locating the safety with excellent timing. We haven't seen that in freaking weeks at this point. So I think a conversation should be at least be held. I don't know if I'd replace him just yet. I'd probably allow him to start next game, but a conversation should be held, especially if Bredesen was, was healthy with Nick Gates playing as well at center to possibly put Feliciano at guard. I know, I know that it's jumbling things up. That's one reason why I'm not like fully, Hey, we have to put Feliciano there and Feliciano's not great in pass protection either, but Glowinski was a real liability in this game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, especially because both Josh Azudu and Ben Bredesen have had more experience, all their experience this year at left guard. So it's not as easy of a transition to find a new right guard. All those players in the mix, we'll talk about it maybe at the end of this show. I'll, I'll add a little segment for it um, in the superlatives, but we'll, we'll kind of figure out and, and get to a point of where we would want to be with this starting offensive line. But after this missed shot play, we set up a third and eight. It's another play the Giants wish they could have back, man. I mean, this was a perfect call by Mike Kafka here to run this screen against this play call by Dallas. Look at how, when he catches the football, Saquon Barkley, look at what it looks like right ahead of him, right when he catches the ball. Now, some people have, on my timeline, put this play up. Some people have blamed Barkley for this. But look at here. How is that not a first down, right? Like, look at that shot Nick has up on the screen. All all we have to have here is Mark Lewinsky locating the right defender, which he totally whiffs on and doesn't locate at the third level or second level, whatever it is. And Jack Anderson, just hold your damn block, dude, instead of just getting totally destroyed by Leighton Vander Ash. So if either of those two, even if just like... Jack Anderson does a good job here, Nick, and Glowinski just totally misses picking up six here, um, which he does. I still think Barkley can get the first down and maybe even turn this into a bigger play. But if both those blocks happen, Glowinski and Anderson, if we have a team that like can make those blocks on the, it's a design play. Like that's what they're supposed to do. It's the execution. It's not like we're asking too much in my mind, at least if both those blocks happen, Nick, I think this could have been like a massive explosive play for Barkley. It would have been a massive explosive play. You would have had whoever 83 Cager is blocking as a threat. And I think that's Jerron Curse, who's a really good football player. But I love how Nick Gates right here has the the mind to to stick with Demarcus Lawrence. Because look, Demarcus Lawrence reads screen. He knows that Saquon Barkley is getting the ball. And Nick Gates doesn't kind of climb. He just sticks with Barkley and then chips Demarcus Lawrence, allowing Barkley to explode upfield. And Dan, what the hell is it about Leighton Vander Esch to where this guy looks like Brian Urlacher every time he plays the Giants? I don't know. I think he's a good player. Is he not? I haven't followed him too much this year. Has he been struggling outside of the Giants games? I have no idea, but I think if he played as well as he does against the Giants, we would be talking a lot more about him as a a pivotal part of the defense, which I feel like we did when he was drafted by Dallas, but then he suffered a couple neck injuries and they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, but they still resigned him. And now he's back with Dallas. And I just feel like the plays like this, man, he just absolutely stonewalls Jack Anderson in space. And I feel like that is the key reason on a big high leverage situation early in the game, third and eight, why Saquon Barkley doesn't pick up this first down. 
it was such a wasted opportunity, man, because this is not that hard of a block in my mind for a guard here. Because he, even I think that like Vander Esch even kind of takes a, a, the wrong step here. It's not like he does a terrible job reading this play out, but he's a bit out of position and wide here. All Anderson really needs to do is just push him further wide, um, mm-hmm. open up that hole there. And then. And Glowinski just obviously, as you're seeing on the tape, like he just totally doesn't locate the guy he's supposed to locate there. So, yeah, wasted play here. Back-to-back opportunities they just missed. The deep ball, second and eight, just missed it a little inside. Tough throw. The third and eight, perfectly designed play call by Mike Kafka. Situational play calling for Mike Kafka remains very strong for the Giants. The fourth and one, this play, a few other plays. The route combinations remain strong for Mike Kafka. There are things I don't like about Kafka. I don't like some of his... Uh, lack of aggression, I guess I could say, or I don't like some of his second and long run calls. There are definitely things I don't like, but overall, he's still winning these situational play calls at like third and eight here where he calls it perfect, fourth and one. He's still designing good route combinations that are creating space in the pass game. So I don't really understand the hate on Twitter right now for Mike Kafka. Neither do I, and I won't even say, and I don't want to speak for you, it's not that I don't like certain things about Kafka, but there are situations and scenarios that I feel like he could probably come up with a better play call or a more aggressive play call but with everything he's working with i think that has to be taken right. into account. but it's not even like a tendency like with jason garrett it was a tendency with pat Shermer, it was a tendency if it was second and long they were running the freaking football like it's not a tendency for mike kafka to do that there were, have been situations throughout the year where he has done it but i wouldn't necessarily say it's a tendency quite yet and i think once they get back evan neal potentially Josh Azudu, potentially Bredesen, and maybe if all three are in the lineup, in addition to Gates and Thomas, things might look a lot different for Mike, like what you guys see from Mike Kafka. Though I think part of the issue, at least right now, is that they just, they've just been facing a lot of tough defensive fronts. Like Dallas is a really, really tough defensive front. Washington is going to be a tough defensive front coming up. They really don't have an easy front coming up for a while. Somebody mentioned Indy to me, but Indy has a really good front. Indy, the reason the Eagles were unable to blow out the Colts last week had nothing to do with the Eagles defense. It had everything to do with since uh, I'm sorry, Indianapolis's interior defensive line with the Forrest Bunkner and crew. Like that was the reason why the Eagles couldn't run their system, which also gives me a little bit of hope, by the way, that the Giants are going to slow down the Eagles offense. I'm a, I'm what less worried about the Giants pass defense against the Eagles and just overall defense against the Eagles and I am the offense actually surprisingly based on that. But um yeah, so I mean we'll see what happens but they need they need these guys back on the offensive line I think and then people will be a lot less people will be more understanding of Kafka. Like right now like you said, you have to take into account what he's working with. Yeah, three new offensive linemen and not necessarily the best crop of skilled position players. A couple of those guys were on the street just a couple weeks ago or were on practice squads. So that's the situation that he's trying to win football games against arguably the best defense in the league. Okay, second offensive possession of the game. This is right after the Cowboys tried that fourth and two and inexplicably ran up the middle against the strength of the Giants defense. And it starts off with this PA rollout here. And Jones does a really good job of hitting Chris Myrick on the backside crosser. What I love the most about this play is that it's really built on one trait and one area of Jones's game that has simply proved dramatically this year, and that's his patient on the move as a quarterback. Now, some of this is by design, and some of this is probably reps and Kudos to the coaching staff for giving him the reps and the opportunity to get better with this. But you can see here, he does a great job of rolling to his right. Nothing's there. Then sliding a bit to his left to reset his throwing lane and his pocket. And then finding, like you said, like uh, 
like I mentioned a bit earlier, the backside crosser. This is a very good play design and play individually by Daniel Jones. Watch Chris Myrick, who is the tight end to the boundary side, which is the roll side. He blocks 54 well down the line of scrimmage. All the routes are already distributed at this point. So once 54 is eliminated from the play, Myrick sees that Daniel Jones hasn't released the football and he just climbs upfield. He's an eligible receiver. And then he adjusts his route into this into the soft zones. I shouldn't even say zones, but into the soft areas of the field. And Jones does a really good job looking backside and finding him through a crowded area where Richie James almost knocks this football out of the air. I felt like this is a, just a, a very good play by Jones and Chris Myrick. We'll watch it from the end zone angle and you'll really see how Daniel Jones is very patient, even though there are guys kind of bearing down on him. He's just waiting, waiting, waiting. Then he looks to his left and finds that outlet. Great play. Yeah, and for those who are saying, look, Mike Kafka's too conservative. Well, he comes out that first drive throwing, comes out the second drive throwing, and right after this big play, he comes out with another throw on first and 10. Unfortunately for this one, the Cowboys did a good job of reading it and designing a play to stop the, to stop it. The coverage is amazing downfield. There's really nothing, to, nowhere for them to go. And in addition to that, as you saw in the film just there from that end zone angle, the twist crushes Jack Anderson, who just loses really bad on this. We can't, this has to hopefully be the last Jack Anderson game. And with the mini buy, I'm hoping it is. This guy's just not an NFL caliber player in my mind. Um, and he's going to just ultimately be bad every game for the Giants if he's in it as far as pass pro goes. But one thing I notice is you also see Tyree Phillips with what I would consider to be not a great rep either. Um, to give up kind of the the outside shoulder and and allow the the pass rusher to get up on him. Those are two players we hope to not see after the bye. At least I hope to not see. Yeah, there's really nowhere for Jones to go with the football. It looks like for a second, Saquon Barkley might be open, but Van Der Esch kind of matches him. You can see the linebackers pointing at Saquon Barkley and kind of determining who's going to match Saquon Barkley on this play. Van Der Esch ends up getting out there and taking a good angle. Two guys on Lawrence Cager. Isaiah Hodgins is not going to get open. Richie James is matched. So there's just nowhere to go with the ball. And Jack Anderson gets really just abused on that twist up front. All right. So after that sack, I love the aggressiveness by Mike Kafka to come out on the second seat 17 play and run a play action counter with a three level read behind him. This is behind the behind the play. This is a really diverse call. I haven't seen this from the Giants. And what it does is creates a wide open um Isaiah Hodgins, who scores the touchdown, unfortunately for the Giants, it's called back for a penalty. Now, Ross, Ross Tucker, who breaks down NFL, did a great job, I think, explaining why this was a bad call by the referees and why it shouldn't have been flagged. Obviously, you can see on the film here, Terry Phillips is past the line of scrimmage. But did you get did you get a chance to listen to Tucker? And, and obviously, you can break down the play as well, Nick. I did. First of all, I'll touch on what Ross Tucker said, and it's what a lot of people have parroted. So many people in the NFL have come out and said this is an egregious call. It was an egregious call at the time, and it's because Tyree Phillips is engaged in a block here. This isn't an RPO. This isn't a situation where Tyree Phillips is acting as an eligible man downfield trying to bait linebackers to cover him and be eye candy, if you want to use that term. He's literally just engaged in a block of 96, and then 96 kind of drops to a depth of like six yards off the line of scrimmage and Tyree Phillips realizes and then attempts to get back across the line of scrimmage. I just think this type of call and this situation with the context involved, the rule was not meant for this. And I think this kind of stuff happens sometimes. And Tyree Phillips maybe drifts, takes like two steps there, as you could see, and then he jumps back. 
I just don't think this is in the, the spirit of why this rule was instituted. It was instituted because of RPOs and things of that nature. And for offensive linemen, ineligible receivers acting as possible eye candy to get linebackers to bite up to open up routes behind them. That's not what happened here. This is a play action freaking bootleg where 79 was engaged with a block. And he was just going with the blocker and then realized the blocker was dropping to a depth. So I just think this is an egregious call by the by the referee here. Exactly. Think about the intention of Phillips on here. You did a great job breaking that down, Nick. His intention is to block down that defensive the end or whoever that is like his tension is not to get out ahead and give the giants an advantage here. So it's a stupid call. It changes the momentum of a game. It takes away a really well-designed play by Mike Kafka to get a wide open Isaiah Hodgins and Daniel Jones finds him on the back shoulder. And then he's able to kind of flip his body around and get the touchdown. So just a brutal devastating call. It puts them in second and 22. And as for the play call, we talked about how Mike Kafka was using a lot of these play action slides, these play action bootlegs. Well, this one didn't necessarily have this slide element, but this is the play action. They fake the counter. You can see Saquon Barkley step to his right before going left. The Giants pull the backside guard, Mike Mark Lewinsky, and there's a bunch formation to the boundary side, to so the opposite side of the counter. Daniel Jones does a great job, similar to what they did so often in the Bears game, selling this play fake. And look at Dallas's defense. They all go after Saquon Barkley. They all think Saquon Barkley has the ball. But then you have Isaiah Hodgins, who is to the field side, so he's a lone receiver, he's going to cross to the intermediate portions of the field. Chris Myrick from the bunch is going to block Micah Parsons, and then Darius Slayton is going to run the vertical to clear out the safeties and occupy those middle-of-the-field defenders with Richie James running the out route. With Richie James running the out route as the outside receiver from the bunch off the line of scrimmage, that's going to occupy the deep third cornerback or the cornerback, I should probably just say, because they're not necessarily in a cover three. It's a little bit hard to tell because of the play action element. Three latches on to Richie James. So what does that do? That opens up the backside crosser. And Isaiah Hodgins does a really good job noticing this. And you could see he's running along the 15-yard line, and then he starts to drift towards the 10-yard line, gaining depth because three matches Richie James. And the other defender who is in the area, what does he have to worry about? Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones legs. He pays attention to Daniel Jones legs. Nobody sees Hodgins coming from the backside. That is a great, well-designed call. The Giants got jobbed out of. Yeah, unfortunately. So puts him in a second and 22 situation here where they try to come back, run a little bit of play action post wheel. As usual, we know it. They love the post wheel route combination. It's not open early. The pressure is there. Jones gets hit and the throw goes out of bounds. Big play action post-wheel type of team, and there's just nothing for Jones to throw the football to at this point and sets up a pretty bad third and 22 situation. Where we'll I- see one. This was not a, an example of where I think they should have, by the way, because it was covered yeah. well. You think we'll see one throw on the wheel all year? Because they run this concept literally every game. Do you think we'll see one post or wheel thrown this year? I would hope they do it, but honestly, the, the throw every time has been the the drag from the backside. And yep. this time, the drag from the backside was absolutely eliminated by Trevon Diggs, Leighton Van Der Esch. They were all over this play design by the Giants. Yeah, so far, they've only really thrown, like you said, that backside drag. But I'd love to see them find the post of the wheel. Last week, the wheel was open when they threw the drag. That ended up in the fumble by Isaiah Hodgins. Uh, so hopefully that's something we'll see change. On this third and 22, I have no idea what was happening here. The Giants are ultimately called for an illegal shift right before the snap and intentional grounding on Daniel Jones. I think it was just a, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure what happened. Yeah. You could see the 86 and 83 are both moving at the same time. That's illegal. 
86 needs to be set or 83 can't move. So that's the illegal shift. And then I think Daniel Jones might have thought he had a free play and he got a little bit scared when he realized that the right side of his offensive line just fell down (laughs) and he had two Dallas Cowboys blue jerseys kind of in his face. So he just throws the football. Maybe Kenny Galladay was supposed to run a a fade against this leverage. It doesn't really look like it because three is kind of outside of Kenny Galladay. But I'm just not sure what Daniel Jones was processing or thinking here in an empty formation to throw it out of bounds to force Graham Gano to kick a 57-yard field goal, which Gano executed well because he's Graham Gano. But still, man, that was a really, really poor showing. And the Giants were sloppy in this game. You had plays like this. This is, you know, obviously a third and 22. It's not really a, a play that's going to be converted all that often. But then you also have the fourth and one. They go out there with 10 guys on the field. Like little things like that are are things that we didn't see earlier in the season. That kind of stuff needs to get cleaned up. Yeah, you're right. And so ultimately, one more thing I want to show here, if you go to the end zone angle, it's just another example of a really bad play in pass protection from Mark Lewinsky focusing on 64. So now we've had two drives and Lewinsky has looked pretty damn bad on both of them here. He just, I have no idea what he was doing there. I don't know if he was, it was a communication issue or if he just simply got beat really easily, but that was like shame. That was like Shane Lemieux level bad right there. So this is a cross chop move from Demarcus Lawrence, who was in a two point stance about the four eye spot. So the inside shoulder of Tyree Phillips, and he runs right at the outside shoulder of Glowinski. Glowinski goes to punch and watch how Demarcus Lawrence uses his inside hand to cross chop the outside hand of Glowinski. And then Demarcus Lawrence takes his outside hand and also furthers that kind of turns it into almost like a double swipe. And he just completely ghosts Glowinski, not like a ghost technique, but Glowinski goes to punch and makes very little contact. I'm not even sure if Glowinski contacts Demarcus Lawrence's chest. I think Demarcus Lawrence's hands were so quick and efficient that he negated Glowinski from making any sort of contact on, 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 uh, on his own chest. And then Tyree Phillips tries to cut block another Dallas defender who jumps into Demarcus Lawrence and they both fall down. And I think it was at this moment where Daniel Jones realizes Tyree Phillips didn't execute the block. Lewinsky's getting beat that he's like, Oh, I'm just going to throw this away. Cause he might've believed that it was a, a, uh, a encroachment penalty or just a, a, a penalty where the Dallas Cowboys jumped off sides, but that was not yep. the case. One thing I did notice though, there's, one last thing I noticed there was just how Jones changed the trajectory on the football. That'll come into play later in this game um, on the key downs where he did and didn't change the trajectory on his throw. Um, and because it's something he can do, he's capable. He's not, oh, he doesn't always have to have that over the top throw. I know it's been taught to him with Cutcliffe. It's a good throw to have in general, but he has changed trajectory at times in this game and in his career. So you'll see that as it comes because people have discussed that fourth and one play. And I'll, I'll give my breakdown then, but just one thing to, to point out for those who are looking for it. But let's get to this third drive here because once again, the Giants are gifted another good opportunity after intercepting Dak Prescott here. So they put on a field goal in the last one. They the first drive you saw, they kind of bogged down and didn't score. But unfortunately, after being gifted this interception, the Giants go three and out immediately. Um, and so it starts here with a little zone read run. I'm going to say this, this Nick, this is favorite Nick Gates blocks right here, man. Okay. So let's see the good then. And let's take a look at that. Nick Gates block from the side, from the end zone angle. There he and is. 65. Nick- he gets a little help from Glowinski. Glowinski chips the one technique, but watch how Gates finishes his blocks. And look how quick Gates' hands are. Gates' hands get inside. First, he makes contact with the outside portion of the shoulder pad of the one technique, but then he transitions it inside. You can see it right here. Glowinski chips. The defender gets him off balance, and then Gates just uses torque and power to just lift him up and drive him to the ground. These are the types of blocks we need on the interior parts of the offensive line, Dan. 
You're damn right they do. We do. And that goes into what we were saying earlier in the top of the podcast. Gates had a really good game. Like, this wasn't a great game for many people on offense. It was a great game for Gates, especially in his first start back. He, I don't see how the Giants will watch this tape and feel like they should go back to Feliciano. We'll see what actually ultimately ends up happening. But I, it just doesn't seem to me like this will be something they watch. They look at Gates and they say, okay, let's go back to Feliciano when he's healthy. It seems to me like Feliciano might lose his job. I know Jameis Winston was talking about this a couple of weeks ago. The players, they're supposed to be in rule, like an unwritten rule in the NFL. You can't lose your job due to injury. But I, I feel like part of it is like whenever pe- people say that, it's like, well, it's injury, but it's also like the replacement level value in play for a, a lineman or whatever position steps in for another player who's injured. Like, okay, yeah, Feliciano shouldn't lose his job just because he got hurt. But what if when he got hurt, the player who replaced him looked better on film than he did at any point, really? And so it's like, does that you're replacing him because of injury or are you replacing him because he performed worse when he was in? And so uh, ultimately, I, I hope the coaching staff sees it that way, too. Yeah, you got to tell Wally Pip that because if your replacement is playing better than you are, then the replacement should start, in my opinion. And I'll say this, though, Nick. Meritocracy. Yeah, exactly. One thing I'll say, though, about this play, it's just, okay, like, good job by Nick Gates. That's the plus to this play. And the negative to this play to me, and I want to get your take on it, is it's a microcosm to me of what's happening now every time the Giants want to run these zone read plays with the option for Daniel Jones to keep it every single time now we're seeing a backside defender like we see here respect jones and completely take away jones's run we're also seeing just so many defenders in the box to stop barkley if jones hands it so at that point there to me we just can i'm seeing so many more examples on the tape of no option on this play that's a good one you hand it to barkley there's nowhere to really go and that could also be because you know the giants don't really have the people moving interior offensive linemen to win on double teams and to create so much space but that is a reality for what they have right now personnel wise and every single time as you'll see on this the backside guy is respecting daniel jones so daniel jones can't really keep it either so i want to see them throw more out of these you know use more of the rpo and use more of the pass option at these plays just because i feel like at this point the zone read game is pretty dead in my mind because teams are just not going to go back to not respecting jones's ability to run yeah, and we saw so many RPO tags in the in the past, and we see I think we see some of it in this game as well. On this specific play, if Jack Anderson can kind of scoop this two, I guess it would be a two technique right here because the Dallas Cowboys align with the nose and then a two technique. And if Jack Anderson can make that block, he kind of engages the midline of the two technique. If he can get to the outside portion of the two technique, then Andrew Thomas can climb and possibly locate 28 might not be able to get to 55 here, but Jack Anderson goes into the midline and this allows that defensive lineman, that two technique to just kind of stack Anderson up and look at Anderson struggling bad right here. Like that's a great play by the defensive lineman, but there's a cutback lane because of Nick Gates block, but it just gets closed down so quickly because the two technique just dominates Jack Anderson. But overall, I, I understand what you're saying, but I do think better execution up front here might've led to, not a huge game, but just a much better game than just three yards. Yeah. Sets up a second and seven where they have a jet sweep with Barkley to the outside. The Cowboys are prepared and ready for it. And Micah Parsons is just such a freak athlete that he just really cuts off any lane for Barkley to try to run through. Yeah. Micah Parsons is so fun to watch and it sucks that the Giants had a shot at this dude and he is not wearing Giants blue. He's in Dallas. 
but watch how he just stays stride for stride. This is a four, three, eight athlete. Micah Parsons playing edge linebacker, just one of the best defensive players in the national football league. And you can see how he just stretches Barkley out and only allows Barkley to pick up, I believe what three yards on this play. So it's two consecutive runs where you got three yards to set up a third and four and run it back real quick. Just look at how not fooled Leighton Vander Esch is by this. Like you have, Jet sweep where you could potentially like typically you hand it to the running back here. LVE has no interest in following Matt Breed on this play. He goes directly for Saquon Barkley, which you know, as you'll see later in the game we saw earlier, it helped the Giants too when they faked it to Barkley and used mm -hmm. him as as Tom loves to say eye candy. But on this play, they handed it to him on the jet sweep and there was just nowhere to go. Yeah, Saquon Barkley was the wing back on this play. So he was coming from the boundary side to the field side. Nobody pays attention to Matt Breda. And like you said, the Giants take advantage of that later, which I appreciate the fact that they noticed the incredible amount of attention being paid to 26, which is consistent throughout this season. Sets up a third and four here for the Giants. And, you know, this is one of those examples. This has kind of been a throw that Jones is, is starting to struggle with a little bit in this game, especially this throw that's kind of in the flat to the receiver. It's not a long throw. It's not a difficult throw, but someone gets in the passing lane. And when someone's been in jo Daniel Jones' passing lane, we haven't seen his most on-target and accurate throws. This is an off-target throw by Jones. I would chalk this one up to on the quarterback, especially when you consider the difficulty level of the throw, which is not very high in my mind. Obviously, you have to change the trajectory here. You have a guy in your pass lane. But quarterbacks change trajectory all the time on their throws and are able to complete a pass like this. Uh, and so it's a good design by the Giants in my mind. They recognize the leverage pre-snap and that this is going to you know, be an ultimately an option for them, especially when you're running that more vertical route from the inside of where, uh, where James is lined up, I believe it's Slayton. And so just an off-target throw that goes wide and takes a first down off the board. Yeah, this is a, this is a rough one. At this point of the game where the defense comes up with a huge play and you can't capitalize on it. You go three and out. Watch Richie James release off the line of scrimmage, stemming it inside, selling inside. And you could see how three is making an under call right here. Anthony Brown is saying, hey, under, under. He's pointing at Richie James, but then Richie James just does a really good job smoothly transitioning to the outside. But Jones just misfires. But look at the space that Richie James has. If this ball is on target to James, then he might be able to turn it upfield and, and get a couple extra yards. If Brown takes a bad angle, maybe it would have been a lot more. And then six would have Donovan Wilson would have had to make a tackle along the sidelines. But either way, just a big missed opportunity by New York. Yeah, at the very least, it's a conversion if the throw is on target. But of course, it wasn't. So we have the punt there. And so can't capitalize on the interception after the fourth and two stop. They had a great play call back by touchdown all right touchdown call back by penalty and it just bogged down a drive and set over three so a lot of points left on the board so far as we roll into this fourth drive but finally the giants are able to put a touchdown on the a touchdown drive on the board with a nine play 75 yard drive that starts here with a four yard run four yard nice counter run with chris myrick being the motioning sniffer right before the snap you can see myrick motion jones opens to his right Barkley kind of fakes it that way. Does a little stutter. Glowinski pulls, kicks out Vander Esch. It's just 92 makes such a good play. Dorrance Armstrong to kind of avoid Chris Myrick's block. Myrick goes for that hip, gets caught leaning, falls over because there's a bunch of trash there. And then he ends up kind of making contact with Barkley, which slows Barkley down. And then Andrew Thomas kind of loses his footing because so many people are around him. And it only ends up going for four yards. And I felt like this play... If it was blocked just a little bit cleaner, Thomas is going to take out 33 if his feet don't get tangled up by Dorrance Armstrong. And this could have been a much bigger play, but only goes for four.
Yep. Sets up a second and six where they bring on that big sixth offensive lineman as the tight end here. They run a little duo game. Um, what is it? A four yard gain? Solid, solid little gain here to set up a third and short. <laughs> yeah, it's a solid little game, but both these double teams up front kind of fail. Like look how low 91 gets against this double team and how True. he just keeps Jack Anderson off of them. And then Andrew Thomas tries to get in front of 91 and cross his face to make it a smooth transition with Jack Anderson. But since Anderson lost so badly, Thomas couldn't do that. And 91 just gets into the backfield and kind of makes a butt tackle on Saquon Barkley. He almost boxes Saquon Barkley out to number 96, the other player that is being double teamed up front. And Mark Lewinsky loses that rep after Nick Gates gives a good chip and climbs up to Leighton Vander Esch. So the blocking up front from a continuity standpoint, Dan, has been a very big issue. And that was something that we have applauded the Giants for, at least in the first five games of the season. And I don't know if it's just because of the injury. I mean, it makes sense. It's plausible. That's the reason. But for whatever reason, the Giants have not been blocking in a in a way, in a manner that is effective at all, but it's also seems like they're not in the best communication on when they're supposed to climb. It doesn't seem like these transitions are going too well. Yeah, it's a great observation. And that's what's going to happen when you're when you have this makeshift offensive line that's, you know, revolving door on the interior offensive line, a lot of different players. And even on this play where you have a six offensive line, well, it's a different six offensive lineman than you've been having because now Nick Gates is a starter. So I just feel like that's that's a, kind of a product of the injuries on the O-line in some ways. And that's why things can get better if this O-line can get healthy. Also, look at Gates finish this block on Van Der Esch. Van Der Esch definitely hands to the face right there on Nick Gates. You can see Gates' helmet almost comes flying off. <laughs> Gates just keeps driving this guy well after the whistle. Yeah, this was a play I put on Twitter as well because I thought it was just so funny. At the end of this play, you can see the drive Van Der Esch up after the whistle. Almost looks like Gates tries to draw a, a penalty on Van Der Esch, like a retaliation penalty on this one, because you can kind of see what he does. Like, let's just watch it one more time. Gates drives him, plays every play through the whistle. This is why I love Nick Gates. Push, gives him one little extra push, hoping maybe pushing back. And you could see uh, over there, Diggs is pointing to it. Like, dude, it's like hoping the rest are like, look at what this guy is doing. Like, give him the penalty. <laughs> Exactly. And the Giants end up getting a first down because on third and two, the Cowboys get that defensive holding penalty where they were holding uh, one of the offensive linemen, I think Jack Anderson, from climbing up to the second level. So that call doesn't happen too often, but it was an obvious one because the linebacker never got picked up when he should have been. Hopefully, Anderson would have been able to make that block. But either way, this sets up a first and 10 six-yard run where the Giants had some traps built in here to trap the two technique. Or the three tech. Yeah, let's see which. We yeah, use. we don't see trap too often with the Giants, but here it is. Good example of it. Um, and Jones decides to what keep the ball here and ends up taking kind of a decent hit. You don't want him to take here, but does maneuver well to get some yardage. He fumbles the football too, but the ball yeah. just kind of falls right underneath him. And you can see how Jack Anderson comes out of his stance and he's trapping that three technique. And then you have Mark Lewinsky attempting to trap that six technique. And Andrew Thomas realizes, okay, I'm going to climb up to the second level. But Saquon Barkley doesn't get the football. Jones keeps it. Micah Parsons is just right on him, man. Like white on rice, dude. Like Micah Parsons is dialed. Look how athletic that dude is. And how he, look at his footwork. Boom, boom. You have nowhere to go. I'm going to force you inside. There's a bunch of Dallas defenders. It's kind of a miracle the Giants got six yards here. I've seen a lot of impressive players on tape so far this year, Nick. Mike, uh, I'm sorry, you know. Jeffrey Simmons was incredible against the Giants in his first game. Random guys have been incredible. Matabuke for, for Baltimore was incredible. <laughs> Aline McNeil. Um, Aline McNeil. But no one has looked on film like Michael Parsons. They 
unfortunately stole the stole the draft with him. I mean, the Giants had an opportunity, and we know that. We don't need to go over that. But Cowboys got this dude after the first five picks. He's obviously should have been, if not first pick over. Like he, there's a case to be made he should have been the first pick overall, given the impact that he makes. And he's just becoming this like difference making, franchise altering pick. Unfortunately for the Cowboys, what makes it so frustrating? is the Giants were in the linebacker market, supposedly, because they wanted Jamin Davis that year. Now, I'm thinking, right. was it the character concerns for the hazing incidents back at Penn State? Was it the fact that he did not play the year prior because of COVID? Were those the reasons why Micah Parsons weren't on the Giants board? I'm not sure, but this is going to be something that for the next 10 plus years, we're going to be like, damn it, we're playing Dallas. Damn it, they have Micah Parsons. And that's right. just the reality we have to live with right now. And I've heard from some people who I trust who are pretty good with their, so at least for what they've given me in the past, that the Giants were dead set on finding a quote unquote playmaker for Daniel Jones in that first, with that first round pick. So they were locked in. And that says you obviously it played out in a way that kind of leads to that being the case. Because once they traded back, they didn't take Christian Darisaw or anything like that. They took Kadarius Tony. And it's just so ironic if Micah Parsons wasn't on their board for character concerns when they take Kadarius Tony, who they then have to trade for pennies on the dollar a year later because of partially because he wasn't, from what I've heard, he wasn't a good locker room fit. And Micah Parsons, not a single peep of a bad locker room fit since, right? He had that stupid hazing thing, which every Penn State fan I've talked to said was completely overblown and nothing to worry about. And then zero character concerns from this point on. Now, part of it is Dan Quinn too, right? Like he was supposed to be, he was a middle linebacker, Penn State. He was recruited as a five-star edge, but then Penn State converted him to a linebacker. Dan Quinn probably drafted him, the Cowboys. Maybe they thought he was a linebacker, but they realized early on, wait a second, he's even better as just an edge pass rusher. And so yeah. he's basically moved and converted to an edge rusher with the Cowboys. So I'm hoping the Giants could have done that with their staff, but that's not even a guarantee. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm not 100% sure if you're tracking or if you're aware or have been informed about these strange new tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Guess what? It's not beer. It's a mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death, you asked? Thanks for asking. Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans can help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill 
plastic pollution. That is pretty nice of them. I've tried liquid death in my thirst. It was brutally murdered. So go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a liquid death realtor near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash big blue. That's liquiddeath.com slash big blue. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. No, it's not. I think we would have saw last year, at least, Patrick Graham definitely use him in that manner because we were seeing Leonard Williams be used in that manner. And I think... right. Graham was flexible enough to where he would have done that, but we didn't never got the shot to at least see that, which is unfortunate. But anyway, that keeper sets up a second and fourth where they have a one yard run by Gary, by Gary Brightwell here with a split zone orbit motion, uh, orbit motion before the snap of Saquon Barkley for eye candy. This time Dallas doesn't really buy into the orbit motion with Saquon Barkley. So actually, honestly, it would have been nice if they just faked it to Brightwell and handed it to Barkley. I think he could have maybe done something with that. But to me, what I noticed in what I noticed here is just, a further, you know, cementing of what we've seen throughout this game. The interior offensive line struggling with double teams up front. Look at just Jack Anderson and Nick Gates on this one. I mean, they have a double team on 97, and yet despite them having a double team on 97, or I think it was, uh, yeah, Anderson and Gates, or 98, sorry, not 97. Despite that, he's still able to come off and make a play on this. Yeah, 98 just kind of dominates Jack Anderson at the point of attack. Now, Gates is kind of hitting the outside hip of 98, or the inside hip, I guess I should say, and climbing up to 33. But Anderson does not have the power or the ability at this moment to sustain those types of blocks. But even Jerron Curse is coming downhill, filling this alley. There's just really nowhere for Gary Brightwell to go. And even on the backside, Mark Lewinsky loses badly to Odigazua, who there's a hole there should be a hole theoretically if Mark Lewinsky can get to the inside portions of a Digazua here, but you could see a Digazua just sits right into the a gap and Brightwell has to bounce this outside at this point. And he does. And there's just nowhere for the guy to go. Only a one yard gain. You know, and these are just examples of plays and yards. The giants left on the field with their inability to operate double teams in the blocking game with what's left on the interior offensive line. 
definitely an area they need to get healthier on. Sets up a third and three, though, after just a one-yard gain. And the Giants do a good job converting this one to Richie James. This time, again, not, in my mind, the throw you want to see here. Let's be honest. It's an easy throw into the flat. I get it. There's pressure. And that's why he ultimately can change the trajectory a little bit of this pass. And it's a completed pass. So I'm not trying to nitpick. I'm not trying to get on Jones. There's pressure. I get it. But it was a full extension here from Richie James to make this catch. Yeah, this was an incredible catch by Richie James. But it's difficult for Jones because there's an unblocked defender bearing down on him. And he doesn't even get the follow through. His arm gets hit. This right. could have been like broken finger type of situations. But James just makes a great effort here. This is another high leverage type of play, third and three. And Richie James is able to convert this. You know the Giants love this type of concept because Dan Quinn likes to run cover three. He's been running a lot more. I think he's been running more cover three than cover one this season, which deviates from what he did last year. But it's also different from, but it's also the same of what he used to do, I should say, from back in his days with Seattle when they ran a ton of cover three. Look at Isaiah Hodgins' release. There's a stack to the field side with Richie James inside of Isaiah Hodgins off the line of scrimmage. And Hodgins runs directly at Richie James' defender and makes contact with the outside hip of 26, which kind of helps create this separation. If James catches this pass in stride and doesn't have to kind of lose his balance catching it and fall forward, could have been maybe a, a bigger gain because Hodgins clips the hip of 26. Yeah, agreed. He could have created some separation. I'm not, I don't want to blame Jones, so I'm sorry for saying that earlier. It's not on Jones. It's a tough throw with the pressure in his face. But then again, obviously, if the ball was, like you said, in stride, it could have been a gain, a bigger gain. So either way, they convert. Sets up a first and 10, and you have a little downhill. Or what is this one? You have the – or no, this, we're still on the James play. It sets up a first and 10 here where um, you get a little downfill, downhill run from Saquon Barkley. Nice six-yard gain. Yeah, good – Six yard gain finally for this Giants rushing attack that has not been able to really get anything going. One of my favorite parts of this play is Nick Gates. Nick Gates pulls around Mark Lewinsky's pin pull. And what does Nick Gates do? He picks up Jerron Curse, who's a safety. And people are like, yeah, he's a safety. He should do this. It is very difficult for an offensive lineman to pick up a box safety like Jerron Curse, who's like six foot four, 220 pounds, and slam him to the ground like Nick Gates does on this play. Nick Gates. Look, look, look at how he engages contact here. He lowers himself while he's on the move, then raises curse and literally like plants him. That is such a good play by Nick Gates to help clear this hole and remove a box defender where Saquon Barkley picks up six yards when they have not really done anything on the ground at this point. Yeah, first gain of five plus yards for this Giants run offense and created in a lot of ways because of what Nick Gates is able to do, taking Curse out of the play, which is a perfect, you know, drive pancake, whatever you want to call it, block. This is a nasty block from Gates. Is my favorite play from him on film in the whole game film, and it was just awesome to see. I mean, look, you can say what you want about it being a safety. He should do that, like I know you just mentioned, but have we seen that all year? No, all right? And I don't really remember too many times where the opposing team has had a center come around pull and drive one of our safeties into the ground like that. So I think this is one of the better blocks I've seen from any giants offensive lineman this year. It wasn't even like a drive into the ground either. He literally like makes contact and then lifts him up, like lifts yeah. him up like a child. Like if you freeze it right here, if you're watching on YouTube, curses feet are off the ground. And the only contact with anything that he has is with Nick Gates. Nick Gates is suspending curses weight in the air in order to just slam him on the ground like that. Like that is that is very impressive stuff right there. Just awesome to see. Truly great. 
play by Nick Gates. It sets up a second and four here. And here we go. This is the shot play by the Giants. One thing I wanted to say earlier, which I'll say again, is I just love how the Giants are willing to take a shot play on second and four here, on second and eight earlier. You know, don't always just try to look for the sticks. If you see the look you want, like you have here, this middle of the field, closed safety, one high safety, you can see. You know Darius Slayton has speed. You can see the corner starts to drop off and respect the speed of the snap, but it doesn't matter because Slayton is still too fast and accelerates too much. And then just great play at the end by Darius Slayton to high point. This is exactly what you're taught as a receiver here. High point the football and come down with it. Exactly. And look at the formation. Marcus Johnson, Darius Slayton, both outside. I was Johnson. I was right. Yeah, I knew I thought I remember Johnson there. Yeah, Marcus Johnson, Darius Slayton, both outside the numbers. Daniel Jones looks to his left to hold the safety. Gets the one-on-one matchup, as you brought up before. Excellent play by Darius Slayton. And Anthony Brown's in the press alignment, but he bails. He bails to give himself some cushion against Darius Slayton. And even still... Anthony Brown is in great position to make a play on this football. Right. But Jones throws a good ball and Darius Slayton adjusts very well to the football to to make the the contested catch. And what have we said about Darius Slayton? It's like, yeah, man, his rookie season, Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton, anytime they had a one-on-one matchup, he would always win these contested catch situations and he hasn't for so long. Well, now he is again. Like he's making plays like this. This is a one, this is a true 50-50 football right here where Darius Slayton climbs the ladder and makes the catch over Brown with a safety bearing down. Like this is just phenomenal stuff from Darius Slayton. Really is. This is like um, you can't really speak to how great of a play this is by the receiver here. Again, corner gives him moves off at the the start of the snap, he still has the speed to create a little bit of a step and separation, but even then he slows to high point the football at the end of the play. And he's able to do that and make come down with the football. Great play by Darius Slayton here. Good throw by Daniel Jones too. Very good throw by Daniel Jones, especially because Mark Lewinsky just loses so bad to 99. Like this is Shane Lemieux 2020 type of territory that this game specifically, like it's been bad all season, but right here he loses right at the snap. Like Mark Lewinsky goes to punch 99, just, he just gets right around him. Like, yeah, what Mark is he Lewinsky's, doing there? Like, Mark Lewinsky has such a soft shoulder. Watch, he's trying to make contact with his outside arm. Mark Lewinsky is in 99, just violently chops it down, but then he just never like replaces it. I'm not sure if Lewinsky thought he was going to have help from Tyree Phillips, but Tyree Phillips has to pay attention to Demarcus Lawrence, even though he has a chipping tight end to that side. You still have to pay attention because Chris Myrick is just chipping. So Daniel Jones has 99 right in his face as he throws this football. And it's basically right as Daniel Jones is coming off to hit his back foot from looking that safety off. And then he knows he has the one-on-one matchup. And now he sees 99 right in his face and he still has that release to get rid of the football over his head like this. That's a, that's a good throw by Daniel Jones. Might not be pinpoint accuracy, but he gives his guy a chance to make the play. And that's all you got to ask for in that type of circumstance. Yep. And they finally, you know, they take a shot here on second and four and look at what can what can happen. They took two shots against these middle of the field closed looks, both to Slayton. They averaged 22 yards per attempt. That is more than enough reason for me to keep going back to the well and risking maybe, you know, getting yourself in the third and long and having to punt, whatever it may be. I, I'd rather take a chance like this. And Dallas was in middle of the field closed type of looks. It must have been at least like 60 to 65% of the time in this game. Like they were in a lot of teams play the giants in those looks like more than they play any other team. Nobody respects this giants deep passing game. One thing you can do to get them to respect the passing game is take shots against those look early and often. Now you probably only trust one player to make those plays and that's Darius Slayton. That's fine. Use Slayton, take those shots, 
force the defense to play you a little bit differently. And that could open up the zone read run game again. That can open up different things in the run game you want to do or even different things in the passing game. So I'm just happy they're finally like getting to the point where they're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's take these shots against these looks. Defenses don't want to respect our deep passing game at all. There's so much disrespect paid to it with the way they align pre-snap. Fine, then take a shot and at least make them try to respect it. Absolutely. And a lot of the time in the second half, as we'll see, there was much more quarters and and too high type of looks right. because they knew the Giants had to pass the football because they were down so much. But even despite that, early in the game, there were a ton of uh, middle of the field closed looks. And like you said, I'm glad the Giants tried to challenge it. On the quarterback sneak that we just saw, Leighton Vanderesh made a great individual play to stop Daniel Jones. And then Saquon Barkley just runs this touchdown in off of a good block from Nick Gates. As you can see, the double team, Nick Gates, Jack Anderson. Gates gets a hold of Odigazua and pushes him just out of the way. And then we have Glowinski up and kind of went away. But Glowinski kind of just does enough to to get in the way and, and allow that touchdown to come about. I'll bring it back up here real quick. Glowinski yep. kind of just falls towards the feet of 33 and 28, creating a wall. Saquon Barkley gets in, which is good for Saquon because if we're going to be honest here, he he just doesn't really look the same right now. I'm really hoping that this this bye week treats him well, this mini bye week, I should say. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, unfortunately, with where they're at right now. And it may just be, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to look into it, but I've, I'm curious, like, how many backs had his massive workload in the first half. I mean, you think about that Houston game right after the bye. They just ground him down. They gave him, what, 35 carries? Was it 35 or 36 carries? In 35 the game. carries. Yep. Most of his career. I, I just, like, you, you, like, Jonathan Taylor, his rookie season and, and last season as well, came on strong at the end of the season and had, like, massive workloads, but he wasn't really used earlier in the, in the first half of the season in both seasons. Saquon was pounded and grounded in the first half of this season. So it's like the second half comes along. And so far, you're right. He hasn't looked as explosive and fresh. Hopefully the mini buy can help. Could also be the shoulder injury. You might not be want, want him to run as physically with it with a bum shoulder. Which makes sense. And again, this is somebody who has been injured basically the last two seasons. You can even include 2019, but he finished that season so damn strong that like I kind of exclude it. But the torn ACL in 2020 last year, he had a couple different injuries. And then this year, he's the true workhorse and he has so much potential and he's so good. But right now, the Giants outside look or inside looking out of the playoff pitcher, but they have a tough schedule. This team wants to run the football and you have defenses like Washington, Indianapolis, like the easiest defense that they're facing are the Vikings who can put up like 40 points. Yeah. Like this, it's some good run defenses. Jordan Davis might be back for Philadelphia. He got two games against them. So it's, it's going to be, and maybe even now with Sue and Sue and Joseph, they look like they almost immediately improved that run D with those two. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting to, to say the least. And now we can get into this what is it? The fifth drive of the game. Another yeah, fifth three and drive. Out. Giants are up 10, seven at this point. So they actually have a lead and ability to kind of put their foot on the gas and try to command this football game and get a bigger lead. But this drive ultimately ends up going with another three and out here. It starts with a throw that Darius Slayton drops. Um, the ball placement is okay on this one. I don't think it's bad or good personally, because it's a short throw. Uh, I still think it should have been caught though. It's a solid throw and just, they try to take advantage of the off leverage here. Um, but I think partly, partially because of where Diggs is aligned, that's kind of why Daniel Jones throws it where he needs to. So I would put this one on Slayton. It's actually not Diggs. It is Anthony Brown. And I was actually wondering while watching this tape, we didn't really see too much Diggs on Slayton, specifically in the first half. But I'm pretty sure they've traveled Diggs around before. 
Am I? I don't think I'm mistaken there. No, so. you're right about that. They traveled him around versus Justin Jefferson and limited him big time. So I wonder why that is the case. Yeah, he was on Hodgins a lot of the game, but that's why Daniel Jones puts this throw to the outside shoulder because Brown's coming down, but it's maybe a little bit too far outside. Still something that Slayton should have caught, but it was dropped and it set up a second and 10 where the Giants come out with six offensive linemen in their quote unquote 13 personnel package if you want to include one of those offensive linemen as tight ends, which I mean, typically people don't, but all three of those extra blockers are on one side. Yeah, and this is just another example on film of the Giants struggling up front with these double teams. It was the big story of why their running game was so disappointing against the Cowboys, for me at least. It's just they have a lot of these double teams set up, and they're not winning these double teams here. I mean, you could see, for me, I think this could have been a really big play if you know the, that side of the line that has Andrew Thomas. Like If Andrew Thomas is able to make that play and make this block, and it's not just Thomas here. I think you can look at the double team. You can look at kind of 70 on this play, but if if... This block is made. There is a lane right there for 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 Saquon to cut back into, but obviously, you know, they're not able to make this play. I believe that's ninety seven who ultimately makes the play, but ninety seven is getting double teamed here. Like you should be able to to eliminate him on a double team. So I don't want to say it's all Andrew Thomas. He has little help with the with the with the center. Or I'm sorry, with the left guard here with Anderson, and then he tries to climb and take out Vanderash. But ninety seven makes the play on this. He's getting double teamed, Nick. Am I wrong to think that ninety seven shouldn't be making the play on this? You're not wrong to think that, but what Dallas does post-snap is a big reason why this this ended up being a failure for the New York Giants. Because you have 97, who's essentially a two-technique directly over the top of the guard. Andrew Thomas and Jack Anderson engage the block, but Leighton Van Der Esch does a good job coming right downhill, so Jack Anderson has to quickly climb. Andrew Thomas, though, is fully capable of taking advantage of Adigazua, who's a good player, but he should win that matchup. But if you look at what 54 does against number 70, the big offensive lineman, he slants right inside of the C-gap and then contacts Adigazua and Andrew Thomas. And it kind of furthers Odigazua's momentum towards the gap, the A-gap. Right. That's a great point. And that's a big reason why 97 is able to kind of, quote unquote, dominate Andrew Thomas, as some would say, because he doesn't here. This is 54's path and then 70 contacting 54 into Andrew Thomas to to kind of put 97 right where the running gap is. I think this could have been a big play if 54 doesn't make a great play shooting inside because 33 kind of goes to the left. And he takes himself out of the play of where that A gap is. Van Der Esch is picked up, it looks like, by Jack Anderson. It's a little difficult to say if he would have been able to sustain that block. And then 79 does a pretty poor job on Micah Parsons, just sets way too far outside for an inside running play. And then Micah Parsons ends up splitting. But I think if Barkley is able to just put his foot in the ground and 97 isn't in the way, it's going to be Barkley against 28. And it'll probably be like you know an eight-yard gain, nothing too spectacular. But the blocking up front, wasn't terrible other than 54 pushing 97 right into the direction. Good, good overall play. I don't know if it was by design by Dan Quinn, but it, uh, execution wise, it definitely worked for the Dallas Cowboys. That's a great observation because he did move his momentum there. And if he doesn't, their cutback lane is there and it's a big play for the Giants. Could have changed this whole drive. Instead, it sets up a third and eight situation where the Cowboys come out in like a quarters look. Um, and so you'll see here, they're really set up to defend this play. Well, I thought, um, Tried to run the cage, the drag with Cager. There's no real clear out for him. So there's really nothing, even if this throw gets completed. And obviously the key player on this, on this uh, play is Micah Parsons, who does a good job winning up the arc against Andrew Thomas, forcing Daniel Jones to step up. By the time he steps up, there's nowhere to go with the football. Yeah. So pre-snap, it's a quarters look, but watch how Dallas plays this. How many times this season have we talked about, how Mike Kafka designs the backside drag from a three by one set off of clear out routes from the front side. 
Leighton Van Der Esch doesn't fall for it. He passes Richie James off and then just sinks. Look at Leighton Van Der Esch, how his eyes go right to the backside, and he knows that drag is coming. It's like Dan Quinn was a little bit aware of the tendencies of Mike Kafka, and you can also look at number six, who's in that pre-snap quarters look. He fakes like he's dropping to see what Cager is doing, he sees that Cager is going on a drag, and then just drops right underneath. See that? That's a yeah. They they were paying attention to that backside receiver, that backside drag. Cage is a good athlete too, but Dallas was all over this. Daniel Jones just kind of threw it in that area, thinking that his the drag might be open off the clear out, but it just wasn't. And we can see from the end zone angle, Micah Parsons shot out of a freaking cannon against Andrew Thomas. And I'm surprised Andrew Thomas is even able to recover there. That just kind of speaks to Andrew Thomas, how Andrew Thomas able to flip his hips, get that hand on the small of the back, and then the front side of the of the deltoid and just wash Parsons up the arc. But Jones has to step up. And unfortunately the giants can't really protect much up front. Jack Anderson is just not even paying attention to the fact that there's a looper right by him. And DeMarcus Lawrence hits Daniel Jones pretty hard to the deck incomplete pass. That's a special looking pass rush rep from Michael Parsons against arguably the best, if not one of the best left tackles in the NFL. Like you just, you don't see reps like that a lot. I haven't seen many reps like that against Thomas all year. No, you don't. And I think Kenny, I think, was this the play that I put in the notes? I was like, Kenny Galladay is just absolutely cooked. Let's see. No, there's another one you were talking about. I think it was earlier <laughs> in the game. Poor, poor Kenny Galladay, man. But it, it is a struggle watching him kind of run routes and not even ever get any looks. Like he's against Trevon Diggs here. And you can see Diggs is, it doesn't even look like he's taking him seriously. Like he's just like right there on the hip of him the entire time. Yeah. Galladay's totally shot, it seems like. Uh, just an, epic failure of a signing at this point and they'll get out of the deal next year but sadly they'll take on like a shit ton of dead cap because dave gettleman set up that first year where it was just like 1.4 million against the cap and like again if you're going to sign a three-year 72 million and you're only taking a 1.4 mil cap hit in the first year what does that mean <laughs> well it means the cap hits are going to be massive for those next two years so it is what it is. I don't even know what to say. it is what it is at this point with regards to galladay and that whole thing but that ends the drive now we get the sixth drive, which is an eight-play, 44-yard field goal drive at the end of the half. Good on the Giants for actually trying to score at the end of the half and successfully doing so here in their, their ability to kind of score on the end of the half. Now, this is a very interesting first play here uh, that I wanted to break down and go over because last week I thought I saw one of the best plays from Daniel Jones all season from just a mental processing standpoint. He went through read one, read two, and came back to Wandale Robinson on the right side of the field. And it was just like a little seven-yard gain, I think, or a 10-yard gain. It wasn't the point. The play wasn't the big gain. It was how fast he moved through his progressions. Here, what I love from Jones is he goes through his full field progression so fast and realizes, based on what he sees post-snap, that he is going to have an opportunity here to hit a big play on the right side of the field. The problem is... This play is not made possible because the pass protection on the right side of the offensive line breaks down so quick. We'll see that from the end zone angle. This one kind of shows you, you know, just the opportunity he had on the right side of the field on that route. But you'll see just a simple twist up front destroy Tyree Phillips and, and uh, Michael Lewinsky. Yeah, the protection really failed the Giants on this play. If you watch it, pre-snap looks like what? Middle of the field closed possibly could be covered too if the safety who is down over the three receiver side rotates to a deep half, which is exactly what happens. But the Giants had a cover two beater 
built into this play. Watch how the safeties both kind of expand into deep half, cover two, Tampa two, with Leighton Vander Esch just bailing to the deep middle part of the field. Because in Tampa two, that middle linebacker sinks to a much deeper depth. But you have Darius Slayton, arguably your most explosive player on offense, not named Saquon Barkley, exploding up the middle of the field in a one, potential one-on-one matchup against Leighton Vander Esch. And what does that do? That forces that safety that is to Tanner Hudson's side, who is the wide receiver who ends up getting targeted here, to flip his hips and pay attention to Darius Slayton. So now you have a cover two defense where Tanner Hudson is releasing outside. He's aligned outside the numbers as well, running right up the sideline, like basically hugging the sideline with the flat defender turned towards the line of scrimmage and the safety paying attention to the streaking Darius Slayton. So you have that honey hole shot and Daniel Jones, to his credit, he notices it, man. He realizes it. He sees that the safety thing. Yep. He sees that the safety is staying on Darius Lee. You can see it with his eyes right here. He's checking. He sees what the safety's doing. He sees the safety's leverage, and he knows he's going to have that cover two shot. But damn, the New York Giants, even though they have three blockers on one side, they can't contain two guys on a twist, and Daniel Jones gets hit. But this could have been a, a solid play. It wouldn't have went for a touchdown with Tanner Hudson as the receiver. But look look at Tanner Hudson. He has he has a lot of space there with the safety paying attention to that, that streaking guy up the middle of the field. Yeah, just look, man. You got three guys to block two guys, and it's an immediate pressure. That is as big of an offensive line failure as you'll see all game here from Mark Gowinski and Tyree Phillips. They don't pass off the twist, which is all bad to begin with, and that's what you have. You have an immediate pressure despite having Gates, Gowinski, and Phillips all against that uh, just two men from the Cowboys. And I think this is this play design seems specifically designed to attack cover two. Because you have Darius Slayton streaking up the middle. It's like the Giants knew they were going to come out and cover two. Because what is that safety? That safety is somewhat in conflict now. It's either you're going to allow Darius Slayton to be one-on-one with Leighton Vander Esch in the middle of the field, or you're going to give Tanner Hudson all this space outside. And I think Daniel Jones made the right read to go to Tanner Hudson because that safety is inside the numbers with his hips totally oriented towards Slayton. Like It would be very difficult for him to flip his hips and get back to Tanner Hudson. Just a shame. Another missed opportunity because the blocking is just horrendous in this game. Yeah, just horrendous pass pro there. Takes away a big potential hole shot, which we haven't seen the Giants even attempt many of the hole shots this season. I'd love to see them attempt more. Illegal hands to the face sets up the play you're watching now, which is a first and 10 double dig throw to Darius Slayton here. What I thought was interesting to look at is just look at the top of the screen versus the bottom of the screen and the difference in the leverage and the space uh, allowed by the We have a press alignment against Hodgins at the bottom of the screen. And at the top of the screen, we have a corner playing 10 yards off the ball against Darius Slayton. I've read a lot on Twitter over the last, I've seen a couple people say on Twitter that, you know, Darius Slayton's not playing that well. Defenses still don't respect him. Well, you want an example of defenses respecting him? This is an example of that. He burned them earlier deep, and look how much further the corner is playing off the ball on this rep, which allows for this double dig in the area. I don't know what people are watching, and I think a lot of it, I'm not going to explain right now, Nick, why a lot of it I think is said. I think some of it is just kind of like a propaganda type thing uh, to kind of be like, you know, cement how bad the situation is for the quarterback. But Darius Slayton's playing better than anyone realizes right now, apparently, it seems uh, to me, at least, Nick, certainly better than he's giving credit for. ESPN has him as the third best receiver at getting open, creating separation right now. He's seventh in yards per target. I mean, I don't know what more people are looking for from a wide receiver, and I'm not saying this is sustainable, and I'm not saying I want to sign him to a huge contract. I don't know yet, but over this last month and change or whenever he started to take on this role, he has been a really good weapon for the Giants. At worst, he would be a number two receiver on most teams right now. 
Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Darius Slayton's playing very well at this point, and you have to respect his speed. You were already beat twice deep. Now, one of them wasn't completed, but it was you you gave up the leverage that where Daniel Jones put maybe a better pass, it would have been completed. So Anthony Brown has to respect that. And you align Trevon Diggs just in press coverage, and you're just like, not, look, Isaiah Hodgins, you're not going to create any separation against me. And that's exactly what happens. The safety is aligned on that same hash as Daniel Jones, and he's just paying attention to Daniel. Daniel Jones opens up to the left, and that safety starts start bailing over the top just in case this is a vertical throw. So the Cowboys were tracking on it as well, but... This is just a quick little dig. Ends up going for 14 yards because Darius Slayton catches it, and then he picks up extra yardage after the catch until Brown and Wilson bring him down. Yeah, it was good creativity by Slayton after the catch to find that little void to create the extra four or five yards. Yeah, we also see Andrew Thomas get a little bit of help from Saquon Barkley on yeah. Michael Parsons. At this point, it's not like Michael Parsons is beating Andrew Thomas, but you still need to figure out a way to slow this guy down because he's such a game wrecker, which we'll see a lot in the second half. Okay, it sets up a first intense situation here uh, where Jones is flushed out of the pocket here, creates a little eight-yard run, uh, an eight-yard run from it. I'll say one thing from looking at the uh, and from looking at the sideline angle that I that I personally think on this one. Okay, look, <laughs> Jones is not like Patrick Mahomes. I understand that, but what I'm just trying to say when I'm making this point is here. Look, look at at the end of this play. Look at where Jones escapes. Point it right there, and as he, right when Tanner Hudson puts his hand up when he freelances this route a little further uh, earlier, rolled back a little bit when he right when he puts his hand up right here. So Jones, it looks like he's keeping his eyes down the field. Maybe sees Hudson put his hand up. Even I understand like this is not a. Th- a throw a lot of quarterbacks will make. I personally, though, am looking for quarterbacks who will make this throw sometimes because we have so many examples of broken plays this year where there haven't been any downfield throws. I don't think I can remember one attempt here. I would love Jones to just give Hudson a chance to make this play. Will he throw him a little ahead and will it maybe lead to that safety coming back and making a play on it? Sure, but you can make a tough contested catch, especially in today's game, Nick, where the rules suggest that you can't really like drive down as a safety and like go for the because you might get a helmet to helmet hit. And we've seen that happen a lot in this game. And so like I get it. Look, I'm not blaming him for this play. I'm not trying to people call it nitpicking, but I would just like to see some creation creation and a little bit of downfield creativity on some of these broken plays here. Like just just give give that give Hudson a chance to to kind of make a play on that. I don't think that's unfair, but I also just think you he's taking the conservative route at this point. Yeah, it's a conservative route for sure. And it's it's eight yards, and I get it. It's just like Occasionally, I'd like to see our quarterback take the more aggressive route and try to make make some kind of create. Like I like people say, like people say this never happens. Well, I see Mahomes make these plays all the time, and I know it's Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, but he's not the only one. Josh Allen makes these plays. I've seen Justin Herbert make these plays. I've seen Joe Burrow make a lot of these types of plays. I just want to see some more downfield shots and some more aggression on the. It is across his body though. Like that's that's the it one. Is. It, it, he's like throw. near the numbers. Yeah, it's a tough throw, and he has to make it immediately. Like right when Hudson puts his hand up, the ball has to be released. He doesn't have time to do anything else there, and it's a tough throw. It might. It's a difficult throw. I get it. I'm not blaming him. Not nitpicking him. He ends up with a fine decision here. It's the conservative route. Maybe the coaches say it's the best route, but just sometimes I'd like to see, there's a play earlier the season where he rolled to his right. David Sills had a double move and David Sills was like wide mm-hmm. open down the right sideline. And he didn't throw that ball either. There's a few others that I remember where it's just similar type of situation. It's okay. I get it. It's conservative. It's a tough throw, but just occasionally I'd like to see them take a chance on these. Yeah. We haven't really seen much of those kind of plays. He usually just 
keeps the football like he did on this. And eight yards, I mean, I'm going to sign up for that instead of putting the football in, I guess, harm's way. I'm not really sure if that safety, if that's Donovan Wilson, I think it might be, is going to be able to make a play on the football if Jones throws it. But this is so bang, bang. Like, that. that's the that I, I'm sure the coaching staff is probably telling Jones, like, if you don't love it, don't take it. That's at least what I have can assume, I guess, throughout this season and everything that we've seen so yeah. far from this offense and Jones' proclivity to consistently take the football in these situations. I think it's probably a coaching point because Jones Agreed. had, throughout his career, has had a knack of turning the football over in similar situations. But either way, hopefully sometime this year we'll see something that's uh, a little bit that deviates from that because the Giants do need to create explosive plays through the air, but I don't hate his decision there. And I don't think you do either. You're just saying that it'd be nice to see, to see that for once, like see like that Patrick Mahomes type of play, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's that you nailed it. And I think it is a coaching point, but I guess my question would be like, that wasn't a coaching point for Josh Allen, right? The last quarterback that Dable coached, he had him take those shots and Josh Allen takes those shots. There was a lot of space there in front of Tanner Hudson. Like there's just no chance in hell. I don't see Josh Allen making that throw there. I mean, Josh Allen's a great runner. So maybe he just lowers his head and tries to get like 15, but I know it wasn't a coaching point for the last quarterback table coach. And so to me, it, it's just something to consider from a 30,000 foot view. Do we want a friend, our friend, do we want to commit long-term to a player who's not, who's a little bit more conservative in these spots? Okay. Yeah, no, I, I understand where you're going with that. Especially if you're coaching him to be more conservative. Yeah. And you're doing that for a reason too. Like if I mean, yeah. you were, yeah, if you were confident in the quarterback to actually make that throw, you're not going to be like, Hey, I know you can make it, but pick up those eight yards with your legs. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but we'll move on. They pick up eight yards here. Uh, then there's a Jack Anderson false start, which leads to a second and seven here. Uh, nice little play designed by the Giants. I've seen them use this one a lot to clear out that little middle hook area for Tanner Hudson or whoever the tight end is. They've used multiple different tight ends in this spot. Uh, 10 yard gain for the first. It's another, another cover two defense. You could see how not really hundred percent certain what type of defense Dallas is in from a pre-snap standpoint. And then both of the players who are outside of the hashes drop to a deep half. And then you kind of have a, almost like a Tampa two robber situation where the middle of the field safety pre-snap just kind of sits into the Tampa two spot Really good play by Tanner Hudson to loop around the end man on the line of scrimmage who drops off into middle hook and right in front of the Tampa two defender and make the catch present his hands. Easy read for Daniel Jones to look at Richie James or Tanner Hudson. And that one route by Richie James, the drag kind of extends the one middle hook away. Daniel Jones reads it, fires a good ball to pick up the first down after a Jack Anderson false start that probably sent Brian Dable irate. Yeah, Jack Anderson, not Brian Dable's favorite guy in this game. Uh, really, at any point. Remember, he yelled at him earlier this year. Yeah, that that yeah, that was last week. Look at Glowinski get a piece of Parsons who tries to loop around. A little bit of a clip there, but you know that gets that happens all the time. It happens to the Giants as well. There was a really bad one on one of those long runs that we'll see tomorrow or whenever we do that podcast. Yep, clock ticking. So we can, I think we can just kind of run through these next two plays. They weren't really anything too spectacular. They'll fast forward here. They tried to get Barkley toward the sideline so he could catch it and get out of bounds, which he does, but you know, no space created, not, not great blocking there. Uh, and then they just kind of run to set up the field goal here. Yep. Just a little Saquon Barkley run where Micah Parsons almost makes the play through a double team block. Like, geez, man, Micah Parsons almost gets a face mask, but 
see the double team on 96 Neville Gallimore is pretty solid from Nick Gates, man. Whenever Nick Gates was engaged in a lot of these double teams, the, the play wasn't as bad, you know, there were somewhere maybe it wasn't ideal because of the defenders actions and the lack of ability from Jack Anderson or Mark Lewinsky. But yeah, man, Nick Gates, some of these blocks have been pleasant to see because the interior offensive line has just been horrendous. Yeah. Gates was one of the few bright spots in this game. Um, so we move on to halftime here. Uh, so then we have the seventh drive of the game, which is a six play 20 yard drive. That's a turnover on downs by the giants. This comes after a long Dallas Cowboys drive, a 14 play drive with the penalty to extend it that we both think was bogus, but ultimately they put a touchdown on the board to go up 14, 13. So now half the court third quarter is already dead. You really need to come up with some kind of creativity and some kind of spark on offense to keep the, you know, to not lose the momentum here. And they start off with a really nice play here. Again, it's that PA slide that you said was like a big, part of this game plan and Jones finds Hodgins for a nine yard gain against Diggs too. Diggs is off. Kind of looks like he's playing a deep third. Hodgins breaks over the middle of the field and has a step. Diggs closes very fast, but this type of play, like I said, this was a, a huge, huge type of play design out of different formations for the New York Giants. Watch Dallas's defense. They all pursue Saquon Barkley. 33 is out of position. Leighton Van Der Esch isn't really fooled. He sees Richie James coming from the backside, so he puts himself into the flat, but then that also removes Leighton Van Der Esch because he was so on key of what Richie James was doing, sliding underneath, that uh, removed him a little bit early from that throwing window, and Daniel Jones is able to find Hodgins with somebody bearing down on him. Number 90, DeMarcus Lawrence. Scary guy. Yeah. Second and one situation. This is one situation here. You have a middle of the field look, close safety look here, single cover one. I would have personally preferred the Giants to take a shot here on second and one. I'm just, again, like I was talking about earlier with the second and four and the second and eight. There are opportunities here. Look how many bodies are around the line of scrimmage here. Um, you got to cover one look here. Maybe there's an opportunity to get something going vertically. They just want to get the first down, though, so they just run it for two yards. We also have Trevon Diggs on Darius Slayton at the top of the screen and Isaiah Hodgins on the football field, so not Marcus Johnson, but they're both outside the numbers. Then it looks like you're going to have, because the box is pretty loaded, Richie James with off leverage with a two-way go against whatever that slot cornerback is. Giants elect to run the football, and it's played pretty well. It only goes for two yards to get the first down, which I guess is which is the important thing, but still you want to create some explosive plays. It looks like. 79 loses badly to Demarcus Lawrence, who makes contact on Saquon Barkley to trip him up as Nick Gates is going to kick out number 33. And then just Dallas just absolutely collapses on Saquon Barkley. Maybe it's partially the injury, Nick, but I feel like Tyree Phillips has kind of had a downward trajectory. His first start with the Giants was his best almost, and then it's kind of just been like a slow, steady decline. Maybe, again, partially because of the injury, but not a great play from him there. But it sets up this first and 10, and I want to point this play out because I think this is a good example for me of what I was talking about on the fourth down play by the Giants, the fourth and one missed by Daniel Jones. Watch out on this play with the defender in his passing lane. He's able to change the trajectory of his throw by changing the arm slot that he throws from here and to get the ball over the top of the defender, loft it a little bit into space and allow for a hands catch from the receiver. That's what I wanted on that fourth and one miss to Saquon Barkley. Him to change the trajectory, change his arm slot, and throw the ball ahead of Barkley so he can make a hands catch ahead of him instead of driving the ball like Jones did behind Barkley where he had to flip his whole body and try to make a catch near his body low. So I just know this is just an example to me, Nick, especially when you see from the end zone of like he has the ability to change his arm slot and change the trajectory of the throw. So it's not like Jones can't do it. Um, and here's an example of how he did do it to get it over a, pa a you know a defender in the pass lane. 
Yeah, we'll see it on the end zone copy. But before we do that, another play action slide, right? I think this is a very good play by Daniel Jones. I like how Mike Kafka allowed Darius Slayton to get involved with this because he's your hot hand, get the football into his hands. But look at Dallas's defense, Dan. Look at them. They all just bite on Saquon Barkley. Even the guys on the backside are biting so far down that you have so much leverage for Darius Slayton to catch this football. Micah Parsons makes a great individual effort to get into the face of Daniel Jones. And the pump fake by Daniel Jones kind of throws Parsons off, which allows Daniel Jones to change his arm trajectory and put the football out in front, kind of lofting it over Micah Parsons like that. If he did that on the fourth and one, which we're going to see in a little bit, it would have been excellent. But this is difficult for Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones is flowing against the way he wants to throw the football, rolling to his left. See, he has to flip his entire body with Parsons right. bearing down, pump fake, get Parsons to jump like he did there, and then just loft it over the top of him. Very good play by Jones to pick up uh, five yards to Darius Slayton. I wish it could have went for more here, but I, I do appreciate this play call. And look at the throw there. Look at the arm slot that he throws this from. He's traditionally an over-the-top over thrower here. This is almost like a three-fourths throw from him right here, which you don't see a lot there. And that's why he's able to change the trajectory of the football and get it over the top. When you see the fourth and one play, he's cedar. it's actually a much easier throw on the fourth and one because he's not rolling to his left. He doesn't have to flip his hips around, and he's able to kind of throw from a balanced base on that one. But at the same time, he throws it over the top and drives the football. And that's the difference here to me. So whenever anyone talks about that play to me, this is just kind of what I want to see. And there's a play later in the game where Dallas Cowboys, and you pointed this out on your Twitter, Nick, was a great observation. We won't see it today. We'll see it tomorrow or whenever we do the defensive film where, where they run the exact same play, basically, the Dallas Cowboys as the Giants ran on the fourth and one. And similarly, Dak is in a spot with somebody in his passing lane and he changes trajectory on his football and he, you know, uh, changes his arm slot and is able to get the ball over the top. Yeah. Jalen Smith makes a great play on that one as well. This sets up a second and five where Andrew Thomas surrenders his first sack of the season. I think this was the one that was credited against him. Might've been the other one. Micah Parsons, just the, the energy of Micah. Actually, no, I don't think this one was credited against Micah part or against Andrew Thomas. Cause I only saw him get credited for one second. Micah Parsons just right. runs the entire loop around Daniel Jones. And there's pressure coming from the backside. Cause Chris Myrick is blocking Demarcus Lawrence by himself. I mean, terrible situation to be in. And Myrick actually does a solid job recovering to get Lawrence out of the way. But then you have a bunch of guys up near the line of scrimmage and Micah Parsons gets Jones, but then 33 finishes him off for a loss of only one yard here. But you could just see Micah Parsons' game-changing ability. Because Andrew Thomas, at this point, we've seen this how many times this season. Andrew Thomas gets his hand on you. You just ride you up the arc, and you're done. Micah Parsons uses the rip move to kind of create a little bit of distance and also just kind of outruns Andrew Thomas up the arc to get all the way around him and crash back into the pocket. Just a very, very good individual effort by 11. Yep, well broken down by you there. And if you look at it from the other angle, you'll see there was just nowhere to go with the ball. Dallas was ready for this play call. No, yeah, nowhere to go with the football. These these three level, it's not even really three level read, but you have Saquon Barkley in the flat, an intermediate crossing route, and Darius Slayton occupying a clear out with the deep safety. I'm guessing the primary read here is that backside intermediate route by Hodgins against Trevon Diggs, but it's tough. And right. Dallas's pass rush is just all over the Giants. And Dallas, they, they were slanting and they were doing things similar to what the Lions were doing. It's something the Giants have struggled with. It's not necessarily novel. It's been around football for quite a while, but you can see how they slant. And then Daniel Jones tries to do the rollout and you have Chris Myrick in a one-on-one -on -one block against Demarcus Lawrence to the rollout side. Like that's not the best situation to be in. 
And look, at least until this point, you know, a lot of people complaining about Mike Kafka's play calling. And to this point, he's thrown a lot. That's a second and five he throws. He threw a lot to open the game. He threw a lot on the next drive. There are a lot of pass calls at this point. Part of why he maybe feels like he can't pass her because plays like that where he runs a play, no one's open and the pressure is immediate. I mean, it just makes it more difficult to coordinate a game and have a pass heavy game plan when those are the factors that are, you know, in play here. But here you see the third and six screen call to Barkley this time. I thought at least the Cowboy, I mean, the Giants ran it earlier in third and eight should have worked for a big game. The blocking was horrible. This time they were completely ready for it. The Cowboys. Yeah, I didn't love the play action element of that True. second and five call that we just went over. But I mean, I get it. Second and five. It's a reasonable rundown. But I feel like Dallas just absolutely knew exactly what the Giants were doing in that situation. And now on this third and six, we have a halfback screen to Barkley. And I feel like Barkley does a good job giving Daniel Jones a throwing lane. He runs away from his blockers, but Daniel Jones is in trouble because Jack Anderson loses up front. 97's right in the face of Daniel Jones. Tyree Phillips loses to 92, Dorrance Armstrong, who's kind of coming around on Daniel Jones. And I get it. A lot of these linemen are climbing, but they're in the throwing lane. So Saquon Barkley runs into the middle of the field. And I thought this was going to be a first down, but Leighton Vander Esch just does such a good job closing on Barkley and tackling him right at the down marker. And that sets up the fourth and one play that we all have seen, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's crazy how it came at this stage of the game, because it's like, if it this their first drive of that it felt like the game altering game deciding play and it was still just their first drive of the half that's how much time was just drained off the clock by the Cowboys but we'll roll it through here it's a great play call by Mike Kafka here basically the perfect call against this coverage Saquon Barkley gets open he has a ton of space ahead of him but uh you know like we said Jones drove the football instead of kind of changing the trajectory on the ball. I know some people like who are just like, there's some crazy people, man. Some people say the ball was deflected as you can obviously see from this angle, the ball was never touched or even came close to not being touched close, by really. It's not even no. close. So whoever is saying that on Twitter right now, I've seen a lot of people saying that they're, it's almost like propaganda at this point. If you're saying things like that, it's really scary to me um, in, the, in the era of fake news and things like that. It's really scary. But obviously, as you can see, luckily we have the film to kind of prove the, hopefully people can see this, uh, the ball just doesn't even come close to getting tipped. So the trajectory of the football is the same. It's a drive throw by Jones. I mean, I get it. There's somebody in his passing lane, which alters. If there was no one on the field, he wouldn't miss this throw to Barkley. Like if it was just playing 11 on 11 or seven on seven or, you know, just like flag football or not flag football. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, Nick, but I said like, 10 on 11. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 10 on 11 because they had 10 men on the field, but Really what you want to see from Jones here is change your trajectory, change your arm slot like you did earlier in the game, and put this throw well out ahead of the running back so he can make the hands catch way out in front of him and then turn up field. Yes, exactly. This is not the best pass by Daniel Jones. It, it's not like somebody was in the passing lane, really. I mean, 90 is a little bit late to get his hand up. You could see it, the lane is open at that point. People are saying maybe 90 would have knocked it down if he threw it directly over the top of him. I think he might have been a little bit late. There seems to be some space there. It's a little bit hard to judge, and I feel like on the end zone angle, maybe we got a little bit of a better angle. Either way, this throw is behind Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is not the best receiving back by any means, and having him to adjust to a back hip throw is very difficult. I still contend that he should have caught the football, but Daniel Jones needs to also put a better ball out there for him to catch. One of the biggest issues with this play though, isn't just the throw. It's not the, the drop it's you have 10 freaking guys on the football field. Like how the hell 
Dan, does that happen? Like on a fourth and one, a huge situation. That is something that we would have murdered Jason Garrett for. And we kind of brush over it with this coaching staff because this coaching staff has done such a good job and they haven't had many mistakes, but that kind of stuff's inexcusable. Love the play design, but the 10 guys on the football field is an inexcusable mistake. Yeah, I, I agree, but I also feel like at the same time, it's hard for me to just crush them because despite only having 10 on the field, it's such a perfect play call against this call by the defensive call by the Cowboys that there's a guy literally wide open if you just lead him. Um, and the, and that's at least how I see it. And now he still should have made the catch. It hit him in his hands, even though he has to completely flip his body around and then catch it low because it's a drive throw low. I'll still give you that. He should catch the ball. I get like he should. It hits him two in the hands. Fine. Catch the football. It's you know, you're a professional athlete, but man, even with the 90 in the pass lane thing that people are talking about, none of that matters. If you change your arm slot and change your trajectory and throw an over the top throw instead of a drive throw, that's instead the difference. Here. You know, mm -hmm. What'd you say? Instead of the drive throw. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of the drive throw. Right. Like it, that's the whole, to me, that's the play. I, I know there's other factors here, but change your trajectory. There's no reason to drive this throw. He has so much space. You don't, it's not a tight window throw. There's a lot of space. So kind of just loft out ahead of him and let him make a hands catch in front of him. But you know, it you is made it more difficult on your running back than you needed to. Yeah. Right. Like he instead needs to look, look at this angle. He needs to flip his hips around and, and make the catch low. And why is this such a good play call? People are asking, look, you have those two reduced wide receivers just running in breaking routes, slants, creating traffic. You know, Dallas is in man coverage at this point, fourth and one. Saquon Barkley comes from the left side of the field to the right, meaning both of those linebackers probably have responsibility on Saquon Barkley and man coverage. And since he's going right, Leighton Van Der Esch is going to assume that responsibility. Watch how Darius Slayton steps right in front of Leighton Van Der Esch just to get in the way. He doesn't even make contact, but has to alter his path. And look how much leverage Saquon Barkley has. And then Leighton Van Der Esch has to fight through another block or another wide receiver. And it's all perfectly legal. It's just legal traffic against man coverage. Perfect play call other than the 10 guys. Just got to have a better throw and have to hold on to the football. Yep, both things have to happen. Barkley has to catch it. They're not mutually exclusive. He has to catch it, and the throw has to be better. So it is what it is, but it leaves a big play on the field. Sets up the eighth drive of the game. This is a five-play, 27-yard drive with a punt on a fourth and nine after uh, you know, after a few plays here. The game was still in hand here. This was not a garbage drive. They're only down 21-13. It gets out of hand after this drive. That's when the garbage stuff starts to come into play. It starts off here with a really spark plug drive from Gary Brightwell. Um here he runs a uh, little gap. I think it's a, what is this, a gap run? Or no? It's, it's a 15-yard run where you have the entire Giants left side of the line blocked down on that nose okay. and that four-eye, and then you bring Chris Myrick out to kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage. So almost kind of like split. In the orbit motion you know? from Barkley. Yeah, and the orbit motion from Barkley, who is aligned in the bunch with Darius Slayton and Myrick, who's the would be, I guess, the number one receiver to that side, he motions post-snap. So it's just movement, post-snap movement around. But look how the Dallas linebackers are nowhere near Gary Brightwell. Number six, watch number six, Donovan Wilson, the safety. Watch what he does. He doesn't even pay attention to Gary Brightwell. He sees that Saquon Barkley is motioning, and he's going to help contain the guy who's going to get kicked out. So he's watching Myrick, sees Barkley's motion, says, I got to contain because my homeboy is going to get kicked out right there, 33. But then he just removes himself from the from the from the gap where Gary Brightwell has the football. Leighton Van Der Esch kind of gets picked by some of the best blocking we've seen all game from Jack Anderson, Nick Gates, and Andrew Thomas, who just wash down this defensive line. This is the biggest hole you'll ever see. I also think 
Brightwell does a good job, just one cut, one cut running back yeah. who I feel like Brightwell is really starting to prove himself as a, as a solid spell one cut type of running back because he, he has some explosiveness and he can really put his foot in the ground and get vertical. Yeah, he can. And he does it on back-to-back plays. And that's a great breakdown. You have the best blocking we've seen all game from the giants on that split zone play. And then it starts with this play again, they're using Barkley as eye candy. That's back-to-back plays where you got the defense moving in the direction of Saquon Barkley here. And instead you just hand it off on like a little jet sweep type of reverse action to Gary Brightwell. And look at the, what you just said, uh, show up right on film, Nick, look at that cut gets vertical immediately. There no wasted space. Great cutback by Gary Brightwell. Great play design too from the New York giants to fool the Dallas Cowboys second level defenders who have been solid this game. Watch how they're paying attention to Chris Myrick. They've been kind of, I wouldn't say they're as, as on as the Seattle second level was in terms of reading the H back, because remember Seattle was just dialed into everything. The New York Giants wanted to do from a run game standpoint, but they see the H back shift. Daniel Jones opens up to the pitch and they all react to Saquon Barkley wing back Gary Brightwell. Whenever the giants have 21 personnel and one of them is a wing back, you got to assume something tricky might happen. And that's exactly what happens here. They, they pull the backside guard and the backside tackle. And they basically just run a wing back, GT pulling type of play. You can call it a wingback GT counter to Gary Brightwell, who does a good job cutting up right there. That's a good block by Darius Slayton, a good block by Jack Anderson, who is one of the pullers. And then Andrew Thomas climbs to locate Leighton Vanderesh. The Giants just ripped off a 15-yard run by Gary Brightwell and then an 11-yard run by Gary Brightwell. Good way to get the football down the football field and, and pick up some freaking yardage when you've kind of been stagnant in the last couple drives. Yep, exactly. And then here's a play where I kind of wish they would have gotten a little more aggressive here and and just went ahead and thrown the ball here or tried to come up with a throw here, but they go right back to Brightwell here on a zone read play um, and it goes for no gain. Yeah. And this is one where Donovan Wilson, I think is the reason why Daniel Jones hands his football off. He has the read defender. Demarcus Lawrence pinches, but Donovan Wilson is right behind him. So you basically have two contained defenders who are reading Daniel Jones and reading Gary Brightwell. So Jones just hands the football off and Glowinski, lo and behold, shocking, loses his block pretty badly. But it also seems like to stick up for Glowinski for a second, Tyree Phillips pushes the the two technique right into the gap. <laughs> like right, Tyree yeah. like just pushes him right into the gap. And it's like, oh man, why'd you do that? But it's an unfortunate situation, which there were plenty on offense for the Giants. Flip to the sideline view here real quick, Nick. I want to ask you something real quick as we watch down this play. So look at the inside of this play where, is that Tanner Hudson, the tight end? Chris Myrick is the tight end. Chris Myrick is the tight end on that side of the line of scrimmage. Like, how about on these plays when you're running zone read and you know the defense has been like respect, actually, you know what, never mind. It's not going to work. <laughs> I take it back. But I, this, it's, this play it's is like dead from the, this play just feels dead from the start. It's Six's presence that I'm worried about. I think if Six yeah, wasn't there, say if exactly. Six was, you know, if the Cowboys were in a two high, then Daniel Jones keeps this. He beats 90 to the edge, and now you have Chris Myrick blocking, and it's like a 20 yard right. game for Daniel Jones. But Six doing the same, mirroring yep. Marcus Lawrence, like I, I just don't think Daniel Jones so is going to be able to I, get I agree with that. What I was more wondering, which is why I said to flip it to this view, and now I just see it's not possible, is like, are there other solutions on plays like this where they have like these two guys accounting for Jones, so many guys in the box to stop the run if you just hand it instead of the key, like for just like a quick slant or some kind of quick in-breaking route, but it just feels like looking at it again, there's no real area to run, throw an in-breaker either. So it's just, there's, I just don't know the solution. The, the third option on this play is Saquon Barkley, who 
is the number three receiver pre-snap three by one nub with Myrick to the boundary side. Barkley motions to split back look almost goes behind Daniel Jones, almost like a pistol and then fast threes himself. But Leighton Vander Esch is so dialed into it. And I actually want to see if Jones checks Leighton Vander Esch because he doesn't even look the throw side, but that's the third element of this is you can keep it, you can hand it off, or you can throw the football to Saquon Barkley. There are a lot of RPO tags on these zone reads. It seems like recently Jones hasn't been throwing the football too much on him, but maybe a little bit in the beginning of the game, but not too much. A lot of them has just been hand the football off because he's backside defenders. Yeah, I don't even think he sees Leighton Van. Maybe right here he notices Leighton Van Der Esch expand and didn't seem like there was that much leverage, so he's just going to either hand the football off or keep it, and Dallas just plays it really well. Yeah, and we're just not getting much from these zone reads anymore, so I'm just trying to figure out different ways they can create offense off them with the RPO tags and by throwing the football off those looks. Uh, and we'll see what happens here. They try to run a little jet sweep action with Matt Breed on second and 10 here, but, you know, Dallas reads this so well. Yeah, they were already fooled on, on a wingback handoff before. They're not going to be fooled again. Parsons doesn't necessarily get to him, but Donovan Wilson, you could see right at the snap, Donovan Wilson is expanding to his right away from the play action fake. Like he knew that Matt Breida was going to get the football. Yeah. And you'll see here, good play made by Donovan Wilson. I, I got to say Donovan Wilson had some good film in this one. That was a sixth round pick fine by the Cowboys in 2019 out of Texas A&M. Really good fine for them. Number six. Yeah. He was all over the field. That's going to set up a third and nine where the giants just go incomplete. And this incompletion was one of those times where we're like, ah, oh, geez, man, I don't know if the giants are going to be able to do anything in this game. Yeah, this was a tough look for the Giants. There's just nothing open. Daniel Jones forced to scramble and then just try to throw something in the flat to Barkley. But, you know, this was a good play call by the Cowboys. The middle of the field, there's just, I just don't know where they can go with the football here. Quarters look pre-snap and watch Donovan Wilson. We were just singing his praises and talking about him. Watch how post-snap he drops to like a deep fourth, like he's going to be in. Uh, maybe even like a cloud type of situation, but why would you cloud over the top of Kenny Galladay? But you see Saquon Barkley leak out and he just drops to the middle of the field and then he just latches onto Daniel Jones, almost like a, like he's just free ranging it. Like he has responsibility with Saquon Barkley and then he just pivots right off and chases Daniel Jones. That's a really good individual play, but this is something that Dan Quinn does with his safety sometimes. That's why he loves to have these versatile safeties, three safety type of looks. And Javon Curse and Donovan Wilson are both fit that bill. But this is the second or third time in this game where Donovan Wilson just was in a quarter's look and he just flew down like that towards the line of scrimmage right. after acting like he was going to drop back and just kind of totally help blow up a play. Yeah, he had such a good game. And I, I just think, you know, this is. This drive started with two explosive runs by Gary Brightwell, right? And how many drives have we seen this season bogged down at the 50 or just in, uh, shortly into the opponent's territory, like their mid-40s, and ends up in a punt? Sometimes these punts have gone for like 20-yard net. Like there's been three in the past two weeks that have had like a 20 to 30, between 20 and 30-yard net, which is horrific for a punt. And just so many of these drives bogging down at midfield. Yeah, it's annoying. It's it's definitely it's still definitely a twenty one thirteen game at this point. Like it's a it one is. score game. Yeah. And Jamie Gillen too. He had some punts that were booming in this game. He had the one that almost hit the two. scoreboard. Yeah, he had two that almost did. Yeah. But there are times, man, where his he doesn't have the like because the Giants are an offense that they'll move the football and get to like midfield. And in recent weeks, they've just absolutely bogged down in midfield. And it was like, oh, do we kick a 63 yard field goal or do we pump right. the football on a third and eight and a third and nine? Yeah, they elect eight. to punt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they elect to punt the football. And then 
they don't really have a punter that has the type of precision that you need in those situations. But if you're a really right. crappy offense like the Giants were last year and they don't move the football at all, he can completely flip a field for you. Yeah, he can. And he's got a good leg. And I, there were two punts that were like hit the inside the five, but the Giants didn't have the coverage because the punts didn't really That's have true. much hang time on them. Or maybe they had hang time. I don't know what it was, but maybe it's the coverage isn't good. But like whatever happened to the directional kicking inside that went from your from that. Like I never see him do any kind of those like sidelines to try to get it out of bounds. It's always up the middle. I, I don't know yeah. what that's probably taught by the coaching, I guess, but as the hope is that you got guys to like run it down and, and tag it inside the five. But Giants haven't been able to do that. So they punt. It's 21-13. Dallas scores right away to go 28-13. So now we're in desperation mode here. This is an 11-play 38 drive that ends the turnover on downs. The Giants are actually forced on this one to go for a fourth and nine. Obviously, when you're down 28-13 versus 21-13, it's a different scenario. You're running out of time. You don't have many options here. This was a weird drive altogether, Nick, because Giants took so much time here. There was eight over eight minutes to start the drive. And by the time it bogs down here, Nick, there's only like three minutes left. So it's like, even if they were able to convert that fourth and nine and keep the drive going, they still need two touchdowns. It's not, it's a two score game, but they need, they need two touchdowns and a conversion. So like, I just don't love the sense of urgency here. Yeah. Maybe you don't trust your offense to run a traditional, like, you know, two minute drill, throw the ball, every play, that type of thing. But there's no real option to win otherwise. Like they have some runs on this play that 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 take off clock, but some of them get like there's a nine yard run for Matt Breida, but it runs a lot of clock. And you know, if the goal is just to get the ball moving, I get that. But you have eight minutes to start this drive, right, Nick? Even if you score, even if you convert that fourth and nine, by the time they get down and score a touchdown, there might be in like onside kick range. You cannot manage a game like that. If you have eight minutes and change to start a drive down two scores, you need to get it. So by the time you score a touchdown, there's four minutes or four and a half, somewhere between three and a half and four and a half minutes left. So you can kick the ball on a kickoff down the field, get a stop, use your timeouts or give up one first down, use your timeouts and get the ball back. And that's the problem I have with this drive. Even if it did work, they would have had no time left. And it started with over eight minutes. It did start with over eight minutes and the Giants on this first play. I feel like Daniel Jones didn't love what he saw against Anthony Brown, who played this quick hitch. I would say quickly, but you could still bang, bang it on this specific play. And Jones tries to work to the other routes to see. It's just basically curls across the board. Jason Garrett special. Jones elects to run the football, and then he ends up finding Isaiah Hodgins against Trevon Diggs for, for a short gain along the sideline. But you're right, man. The tempo on this drive, I was sitting there, and Greg Olson was talking about it, and it was just very obvious it's like, dude, you guys need to pick up the pace if you want to get yourselves back in this football game. Yeah, and I guess they just don't trust their ability to do it. So you'll see right away after that they have a, a second and 10 run or a second and five run here for the Giants. I mean, they were slow to get to this play call, and then they called it, and it's a run, and it works. Like, great, you're down two scores, though. Like, what is what are you gaining from this? This is their best run, too. It's 10 yards, a G lead where the play side guard and Nick Gates kick out into space. Both the play side guard, Mark Lewinsky, and Nick Gates do a good job kicking out. Saquon Barkley cuts inside of them and then runs right into Donovan Wilson, who kind of lifts Barkley up off the ground and, and gets assistance in bringing him down. And I'll say this on this play. Go back to the the um, the uh, sideline angle of that run. For starters here, you see the hole develop here. I feel like in the past, Nick... Barkley, instead of trying to make that cutback where he slows down, 
tries to win the edge here and just use his insane athleticism. In his first game ever against the Jags, he had a similar run where he could beat the edge with Wilson. It's not an easy angle. It's for only special. It's for special athletes only. But you know, I think back to like that USC game for against Penn State and the Rose Bowl where he had an even sicker uh, angle that he eliminated, and that Jags game, his first home game of his rookie season. I just. I don't know, man. I just, I, I wondered, like, is this, you know, when you talked about earlier, or you mentioned at the top of the podcast, he doesn't look the same. Like, I just surprised he didn't try to, like, get to the edge there. After he cut back inside? No, right here. Yeah, right there. Right after the cutback. Sprint to the edge. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess I can see what you He kind just of, like, slows up at the numbers and, like, wants to juke back inside and then just lowers his shoulder and gets contacted. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. And it's not going to be an easy run, and it's not an easy angle, but he is a special athlete. But regardless, they pick up 10. The clock's churning. They're running the ball. Like They get into a second, a first and 10 situation here, and then they try another run. It's just it's a little odd to me. Like If you're going to run, maybe do it out of the gun, spread. I don't know, but you're, you know, time is ticking. You're down two touchdowns here. And this, this whole series of plays right here, from the five-yard throw to the second and five, uh, ten-yard run to this minus two-yard run, that churns off like two and a half minutes a clock. And look at the personnel they have. They have a big off. This is a not a two-minute drill, but you need to put points on the board. And the Giants are rolling out a personnel group with two tight ends and a big offensive lineman all to one side. And Mark Lewinsky on the backside of the play just loses to a four-eye technique who slants inside. And the slanting defensive lineman in the New York Giants offensive line, typically a recipe for success for the defense. Mark Lewinsky barely makes contact with 99. And once Saquon Barkley gets the football, he has 99 and 97 right in his face. The, the play had no shot whatsoever, but it's not like the Giants have the ability to go out in 10 personnel. They don't even want to be in 11 personnel that much because they don't really trust their wide receiver core. They're rolling out the six offensive linemen and 12 personnel at this point of the game down by multiple scores. It's, it's, it's not a great situation, bud. So it sets up a second and 12 Giants take the check down here again. They move the ball. It'll get to a third and three situation, which is good, I guess. But uh, it's a check down. And so clock is churning. So ultimately, this is probably the right decision anyway. There's just nothing open. Like there's a potential hole shot at the bottom of your screen that he could potentially throw here. But the pressure is there quick. And I don't know if they even want him throwing that like to the field side, the, the hole shot there. So he just takes the check down for nine. Yeah, I'm fine with the check down as well. Dallas transitions into cover two after it's the right decision. It just unfortunately it's churning a lot of clock. Yes. And Nick Gates does a really good job here just holding up his his assignment. And it's at this point where we're just like, man, we got to find some kind of positivity. But he's going up against Odigazua and he gets his hands inside and he just sits back on his ass. Yeah, just hold ground there. It is a great, great, great point. You know, look for the positive there. Look for the silver lining. It's a great individual effort and block from Nick Gates there. Sets up a third and three here. Um, Dallas again slanting the lineman, and you just get a three-yard run for, or I think it was a four-yard run for the first down here. And this is when slanting goes wrong. Everybody slants to the right, and the New York Giants just block them all down. Matt Breida realizes it. When you have an instinctive running back, and Saquon Barkley can do this as well, who knows what the defense is doing, Defense slants, you just put your foot in the ground and just bounce right around it. Now, it doesn't go for too much, but this is a third down call where Dallas attempted to just crash the middle of the field. Good job by Brita adjusting his route, picking up the first down. Yeah, and slanting goes wrong in this example that they convert, but do the Dallas Cowboys really care about giving up a four-yard run up to two touchdowns here? No, they yeah. don't. 
because the clock is churning, taking a ton of time off the clock to even run, set up for your run. And then what did the Giants do after getting that first down? They run again, and it's four yards. You can look at that as success at any other point in the game, but not when you're down two scores. You start to drive with eight minutes, and now you're down to like four minutes. At this point, they're down to like four minutes by this point because they're running the ball so much. And then, you know, they run this little like play action slide to, 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 um, Brightwell, six-yard gain, first down, but clock's continuing to churn. We're now nearing the three-minute mark soon. Um, and so we I, see it's something a, it's conversion, but yeah, we say? see something different. We see something different on this play, too, with Gary Brightwell, who's the fullback. Giants are in eye formation. We don't see too much eye formation from the New York Giants. So you know something's coming here. The Giants open up like the gunner on the football. Gary Brightwell steps in the direction of what is the perceived play side, and then he just loops right back around underneath. Daniel Jones, and as we said, play action bootleg slide, slide somebody underneath Jones, give an easy flat option for Jones. And it's been kind of the philosophy of the Giants offense this game. Gary Brightwell gets out of bounds, stops the clock at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't really, doesn't stop the clock. I think they still run it after first downs at this time of the game. Um, oh, it's, it's not, not under five minutes yet. Oh, uh, it might have been actually. No, it's under five minutes at this point. I think it's under four yeah. minutes when they, when they stop running, but it might have been under four minutes or right on the border of that. Um, so maybe they did, but you know, like any other time of the game, I've been praising the play design and it's really interesting, but you know, and I don't totally blame Kafka for this. I think he just feels hamstrung, but you know, at this stage of the game, those types of plays aren't going to win. You aren't going to get you back into this game and give you a chance to win. Right. Look at the leverage of Trevon. Yes. No, you're right. And look at the leverage of Trevon Diggs on this play. He is so far inside of Isaiah Hodgins and there's just like no respect paid. None. None at all. And Jones. And I'm surprised by the way, Nick, when, when you see this, right? Because we just saw earlier on this drive, there was the whole shot available potentially for Hodgins here. Is this something the coaching staff should adjust to, like on the bottom of the screen? Like, look, like there are some options there. Why don't we try something here? And Dallas is in cover two, and they're playing cover two a lot in this right. second half or a too high type of variation. You could see one reason why there's quote unquote no respect for for Hodgins is just Trevon Diggs, that flat defender, and he's opening up to Richie James, expecting an out route while also keeping his eyes on Saquon Barkley leaking out to the flat. But what does that do? That gives Isaiah Hodgins all the space in the world against that safety. But it's a little bit difficult. Maybe the safety was going to rotate outside the numbers. You still have a shot to Hodgins, but the play was designed to the right side of the field, which was the field side on the double in-breaking route that is played very well by Anthony Brown to knock this play away from Darius Slayton on the dig. Yeah, I almost feel like the play was designed in the wrong wrong way there. The left side looked a lot more looked like they had a lot more opportunity, especially down this much. Like throw a back shoulder toward the sideline to Hodgins there. Who knows what can happen at worst? It's incomplete. The clock stays stopped. But then here comes probably I'd say the worst situational play call from Mike Kafka I've seen this season, just because his situational play calling has been so good. Um, I just don't understand why you're going under center. You're running play action at second and ten with three minutes in the game left in the game, down two touchdowns. There's no one in the world. There's no way in the world that 11 is going to play the run here. Micah Parsons. There's just zero chance. He's guessing run. No one respects the run here. There's no, like, there's just no point in going under center and running play action with a deep drop, go into the gun. You don't even have to fake the handoff. If you want to, you can, who cares, but go into the gun. Micah Parsons plays this pass a hundred percent of the time. He plays this pass and he doesn't respect the run at all here. He just runs right up the arc and gets to the point of right where Jones is hit, uh, hits his back foot off the deep play action under center drop immediate sack. Immediate sack. And you had cager in the flat, but Andrew Thomas is beat really bad because Micah Parsons isn't going to play the run here. There's, there's no way. I agree. The second and ten play action call is, is one that is very suspect in my opinion. It's probably one that Mike Kafka wants back, even though the Giants at this 
point are, are pretty done. But you could see Micah Parsons just went up the arc outside of Andrew Thomas. He stutters right in front of Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas goes wide with the hands, tries to get the small of the back, does not contact the elbow. And then Micah Parsons just kind of bends right through, man. Look at that flexibility by Parsons to turn that kind of control with his feet, how he dips that inside shoulder and gets around Andrew Thomas. He's right into Andrew Thomas here. Look how close Micah Parsons is to Andrew Thomas at this moment. And Andrew Thomas is not contacting him. And then Andrew Thomas goes wide with the hands and he just keeps everything tight, tight, tight and just goes right into the pocket to sack Daniel Jones. Yep. Just not the best call there. It's to, takes him to a uh, third and 25 situation. I think this is a good design here and a good play by the Giants to pick up 16 of the yards and give them a fourth and manageable here. Yeah, I also like seeing Andrew Thomas just take Micah Parsons, wash him inside, and just yeah. stay in front of him. After giving up the sack, he's just like, nah, 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 son. That does not happen often. I am not used to it this season. I am going to wash you inside. Richie James just, I mean, look at the, look at what Dallas is doing defensively though. Their linebackers are what? 10 yards off the ball and they just drop. You have this like cover two type of look. Look at the whole shot that could have went to Marcus Johnson, but you have the safety just cheating over the, to that side. Good play by Jones to just take Richie James in the Tampa two type of look two defenders there. So that had to be a high velocity throw by Jones through a, a relatively tight window. Not not NFL type, but what do you think about um, what would be your like, um, I guess, guess as to why we never see because you just mentioned at the Marcus Johnson bottom of the screen. Like, why do we never see any hole shots against cover two from this offense? I think here you probably don't want to because it's a trap because you have Trevon Diggs just sink to the flat and then he's looking for the number two to run the out or the flat which happens from the from the uh, middle of the field with Saquon Barkley or whoever that is. Might be Matt Breida, actually. But look at six. Six is covering that. Six is darting over there. So you need to throw the football like now. I, I would not want Daniel Jones to take that throw. It's I don't want him to take the throw either. That's not why I'm saying that. And I, I think if yeah. you're going to take the throw, it has to be back shoulder and toward the sideline and it has to have a lot of velocity on it. But I just think in general, we don't take any whole shots against cover two type looks. There are no. obviously some better situations. What do you think the I think, reason? I think a big reason why is because the Giants run so many inside breaking routes and they run so okay. many routes that are predicated on the wide receiver knowing where to sit when they are going up against cover two. And I feel like the Giants do a pretty good job against cover two attacking the middle of the field where there are a bunch of middle hook defenders traditionally, right? Like going back to what game was that? The, the Seattle game where they didn't really do much offensively through the air some of their biggest plays to Darius Slayton were against cover two where Darius Slayton just did a really good job sinking and finding that void between the two middle hook defenders that's one part of the offense that I feel like has done a solid job but yeah sometimes I would like them to take the whole shot it's a tight window you need to have a lot of rapport with your wide receiver and your and your quarterback which the Giants had right. a lot of newer guys in there that could be a reason but they are moving the football against these cover two looks it would be nice if they did take a little bit more i would also like to see maybe some flag routes designed against the cover too yeah, you know like reduce, yeah put that put that flat defender in conflict make them sink get the outside leverage against the safety but we haven't really seen that much either yep this is something i've been thinking about because they face a lot of those looks and they just never seem to have answers for it here is the fourth down play effectively the end of the game here um so I have a question on this one. Do you think that it's possible that if Jones throws this one with anticipation to exactly where he ends up going with the football 
and he puts it towards. So he had to throw right like earlier. Yeah. Basically before the receiver gets out of the break, that's thrown with anticipation and outside the numbers. So outside the 20 yard line, closer toward the sideline, there's a chance, there's a better chance at this. Yeah, definitely. There's a better chance. I don't know if it gets home because that covering defender is pretty on top of it. I think that's Anthony Brown, but that would be the ideal situation. Daniel Jones kind of rolls to his right. He doesn't have incredible pressure in front of him. It's actually picked up well until that secondary rusher comes, but then it all breaks down. I'm wondering if he's waiting for Myrick to get into his route or if he's waiting for James to turn and pivot back outside. Either way, yeah, it would have been ideal, I guess, if he found who is at Hodgins up at the top of the screen right out of yep. his break, but he's about a split second too late, and then he ends up getting hit, and yeah. Giants turn the football over on downs. Yeah, that throw ends up being late, and there's just nowhere to go with it. Um, and so that's a turnover on downs, effectively ending the game. We'll run through the last drive. It's a seven-play, 64-touchdown drive. We're just going to run it through um, without any analysis on it. It's a garbage-time drive, so I just don't feel – and I know Nick shares this opinion. It's Defense are playing you different on these garbage-time drives, so it's not it's not exactly what – you know. Um, I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say. No, I know what you're saying, but yeah, we, we'll get right into our superlatives segment, which is sponsored by WinBet. Sign up for WinBet today to receive a special sports offer, bet 100, win 100. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That is W-Y-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Okay, Nick, let's start our superlatives uh, section this week with our superlatives, then let's wrap this up with a talk on how we want to project the offensive line going forward. Cause I did, uh, you know, bring that up earlier and I said, we would discuss that. So first we'll do the superlatives. Who would you say was the unheralded player on film on offense? Unheralded player. I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with Gary Brightwell. Now I think there's an obvious one, but I'm going to reserve that one for a little bit later. So I'm going to go Gary Brightwell who did not play too many snaps, but when his number was called, I felt like he was decisive and he showed that one cut type of agility and ability to hit a hole, lower his shoulder, pick up good, hard earned yardage. So I'm going to go with Brightwell. I will go with Nick Gates for this one as the unheralded player, but I guess he's kind of being heralded. Maybe that one doesn't count. Does that not count? That's why I didn't go with him. Yeah, Yeah, It's tough to say. So let's, let's, take him out of it maybe he's too heralded there's been a lot of discussion on how well he played in this game um otherwise than that if you're taking out nick gates you can't really find anyone else to give this to other than gary brightwell so i'll give it with gary brightwell too all right let's move forward and transition to best throw you saw on film best throw from daniel jones I'm probably going to go with the completed pass maybe to Darius Slayton, just giving him that shot one-on-one. It was a little inside, but Slayton made the adjustment and made the catch. I think the throw you're watching right now might realistically be the best throw, even though it comes in garbage time. But Daniel Jones is on the far hash, and he delivers a strike to Richie James right on the sideline. That probably is the best throw, but in a high-leverage situation, I appreciate the one-on-one shot, and it was actually completed, so I'm going to go there. Okay, best throw of the game for me would be the same throw. Uh, I can't really think of too many others. You might maybe this Richie James throw that you're putting up there, I guess, could be in the mix. But the Slayton throw, it's it's high, it's it's a little inside, like you said, but he's able to high point it, and you give your your receiver a chance to make a big time 50-50 catch. And I just like the aggressiveness to throw downfield there as well. So how about the best route run by the Giants today? Best route run by the New York Giants. I mean, I'm just, am I going to go with this vertical concept of just attacking the Giants down the, or attacking Dallas down the field with Darius Slayton? There, there's really not one that comes to my mind. 
I would agree. There wasn't like a special route in this game. There have been in past in every other game. Um, I guess I would go with that vertical route too, just because he creates the vertical separation needed has a little bit of a step on him there. And you can Um, see how Dallas had to adjust even the first one too. I'm going to go with that first one that wasn't completed because Dallas had to adjust the leverage that they were playing against Darius Slay. And it was an automatic, okay, we got to respect that dude's speed. Like Anthony Brown was like, all right, I'm going to bail from press alignment into off alignment. And I'm just going to align an off alignment now quite often against this guy because he has vertical separation ability. So I'm going to go with that first one that actually wasn't completed. Okay. Let's go with your favorite play call from Mike Kafka. It's the fourth and one call. That was a really good play design at that point of the game. The play was there. The throw wasn't there. The catch wasn't there. But the design worked out against man coverage to pick those linebackers from getting Saquon Barkley, who was crossing face into the flat wide open. Yeah, it's either that one or the third and eight early in the game where they called the screen and Jack Anderson just got destroyed by Van Ash. Glinsky couldn't locate the second level defender. If either of those two things happen, it's a it's a pretty big play. If both of those things happen and both those linemen execute their assignments, it's a huge play. So great play call there on a third and eight against the Blitz. So I would go with that one. If not the fourth and one, which is probably the best, especially because the situational importance. How about the best player overall on film from you? I think I'm going to go with Nick Gates, man. Like, I mean, I think Andrew Thomas might realistically be, but all things considered what Nick Gates has overcome and Nick Gates really had a good game here. It's not just us saying that because of his story. Like, I feel like he played really well in this game. Andrew Thomas did kind of give up two sacks, even though I felt like he was good uh, despite that. I'm going to go with Nick Gates though, bro. And And I'm glad that we're finally ushering in a fourth player who's earning this award. Yeah, this was a tough one for me. I I think I'm going to go with Gates as well, though, because it's not just the quote-unquote sacks Thomas gave up that weren't really his best plays. I felt like in the run game, this wasn't Thomas's best game either. Um, There were just a few plays that could have been a little bigger if he made it. And it wasn't anything egregious or anything like that, but enough to the point where I can give it to Gates, who I thought had a a few really good splash plays on film and a few really, like you broke down that pass protection rep yet, and overall didn't really make many mistakes on film. So for me, it was actually between Gates and Slayton. They didn't use Slayton the second half, which to me is not really his fault in any way, shape or form, but Slayton changed the way the Cowboys had to play the Giants. They changed the way the Cowboys had to line up against him specifically. He altered the cow- what the Cowboys wanted to do, and he created plays downfield. And so it's close for me between Slayton and Gates, but I'm going to give it to Gates. I like right, it. Pat- yeah, I think it's well-earned. Yeah. How about a pass blocking grade one through 10? <laughs> yeah. Let's go with a, what? 2.2. Okay, it wasn't great. I felt like Michael Parsons only having two sacks. Is, is, is that a win? Like, I don't think so, but Daniel Jones was only sacked three times. He was harassed the entire game, which speaks to Daniel Jones ability to at least get rid of the football. I think it was bad. It was not good, so 2.2. Yeah, they're starting to regress a bit in their pass pro, especially the right side of the line. Glowinski and Phillips were terrible in this game. That was where I thought the really the core of their issues were. Like I thought it would be Jack Anderson going into the game, but Jack Anderson was better in pass pro than Glowinski was, I he think. Was. And he was probably better than Phillips. Phillips wasn't great either. Um, so I'll give it like a 3.1. There were a couple plays where they had a pocket, but not much. There weren't really that many pass attempts, though, or plays in the second half in general for the Giants offense. So until the garbage yeah. time TD drive. So how about the run blocking grade one through 10? 2.6. Like it, it was bad, too. Like the run blocking, they, they can't form double teams, man. Their, their double teams are all getting split. Their double team and climb ability at this moment is, is horrendous. Terrible. And you could point to the lack of continuity. And I think they're, 
that's definitely, you know, a good excuse. Or I don't even want to say excuse because there's negative connotations with that. That's a good reason as to why, but it seems like it even goes beyond that. Like the like we saw with the Lions and even what Houston was doing with the slanting. We saw Dallas right. do some of the slanting as well. And that's just kind of really challenging the offensive line's ability to block in a cohesive way. And it's that's the identity of the Giants offense right now is you need to establish the run. The Giants aren't establishing the run right now because up front they are not on the same page and they have a lot of guys being cycled in that probably shouldn't be playing or at least starting football games for an NFL team. Yeah, you nailed it. I'm going way lower here. I'm going 0.8. I thought this was the worst run blocking I've seen all season from the Giants for a lot of the reasons you said. I mean, there were opportunities to create, create holes, especially with these double teams, and they just were executing them at such a horrible level. Like, to me, the pass blocking was was a slightly better than the run blocking just because of how bad the run blocking was in this game. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, this was the one way to beat the Cowboys by running the football, in my mind at least. And they had a good second way, right? Like the PA slide and all the, the design passes they had, that would have been enough if they could have also just had a run game with them. And they just, that was yeah, the key. I, they needed the run game with that. Because that yeah, changed my mind. I'm going to go, go with the one six because <laughs> you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really impacted their whole chance to win this game, unfortunately. Um, and so, yeah, point, point 0.8 there for me, 0.8, one of the worst of the year. And I do want to, at one point, uh, totals up. But let's close, and I keep saying that, but I'll do, I'll do it during this week because we're going to have more time since we're only doing the one film uh, during Monday, Tuesday range. So let's roll this up by this. What would be your ideal offensive line moving forward for the Giants if everyone's healthy? Everyone's healthy. I think the tackles are easy, right? Evan Neal yep. at right tackle. Andrew Thomas at left tackle. I think right now, I think I would prefer Josh Azudu at left guard. I, I think yeah. I'm done with these experiments of these other players. Look, he might make some mental mistakes every now and again, but I think I'm done with that. Center, it's Nick Gates at this point. Let him lose that job because he played so well. He played better than any of the tape that we've seen from John Feliciano. And I'm and I like John Feliciano. And the right guard position, I think, is where it gets very, very interesting. I think you go into the game with Mark Lewinsky, but I think you have John Feliciano. And if Ben Bredesen was healthy, ready to go, right? I like Ben Bredesen. I like the prospects of Ben Bredesen. And I think he's done enough to, to start on this offensive line. But I, I think I would rather go with Azudo on the left side. But on the right side, I think I'd give it to Glowinski. And then if Glowinski struggled like he did in this game, you would put... I'm going to go with Bredesen if he was healthy to put Bredesen out there. But since Bredesen's not healthy and he might be healthy eventually, but he's been out of football for a little bit... I think I'd allow John Feliciano if he is up to speed with the guard snaps because he's played guard throughout his entire career. I don't know how up to speed he is at this point. And that's another reason why I lean Glowinski. But yeah, Glowinski's on thin ice for me personally. Yeah, I think we have a very similar line. My whole, my, for me, it comes down to center. I'm in on Gates. I'm not going to move off of that. No offense, Glowinski. I mean, um, no offense, Feliciano. It just is what it is. Left guard, right guard gets interesting for me because Bredesen hasn't really played right guard with the Giants and neither has John Feliciano. So I just wonder if there will be some kind of like communication issues on this passing up these twists and stunts up front and just like ugly type of pass protection film. If not, that yeah. it's, but the problem is like, it's not like we've had good pass pro film from Gowinski at right guard. So it's not like they're losing much, right? Like Gowinski's had trouble with some twists. Gowinski's had trouble with just winning one-on-one in these pass protection reps that we saw all throughout the film. I mean, we don't do it anymore, but if we did the worst player on film, we did it last year and because the Giants are so bad, there's like nothing else to do. We, we should worse- do it we should, we should bring it back. I don't. Th- let's do it right now. Who's your worst player on film on offense? Worst player. Yeah, on I was going to say it would be Glowinski by far for me. Easily, 
easily, easily the worst player on tape. So if you think of it from that yeah. standpoint, you can afford to take the risk of a Bredesen, you know, not playing much lately or uh, Feliciano not having these reps at right guard. And so for me, the ideal line would actually be a Zuda at left guard, Gates at center, and then Bredesen at right guard. Because Bredesen, to me, before the injury, was playing really well. He was actually playing better than a Zudu had. And that, that says a lot. I still think I want Azudo at left guard, even if they're not going to move on from Gulinski at right guard. And I'd keep Bredesen on the bench then if that was the only option. If the only option in the Giants mind was, you know, Bredesen plays left guard or Bredesen plays nothing. I'd still prefer Azudo because I want him to grow and I want, and I'll take, like, I don't think there was enough of a drop off there from what Bredesen was doing before the injury to Azudo. But ideally, I would want Bredesen at right guard. Yeah. Bredesen's tape this season has been good. Excluding yeah. the Baltimore game. The Baltimore yes. game was very rough for Ben Bredesen. Did not perform well against his former team, but no. that would be my ideal line. And I'm just hoping you get Evan Neal back healthy. And look, Evan yes. Neal struggled throughout his first couple games in the NFL, but I still think he would be a substantial upgrade over what the Giants are getting from Tyree Phillips at the moment. And I think you just need to change something up on the interior, possibly, because Glowinski is, is an issue. At least you entertain it you don't have to pull the trigger right now but he has been a pretty big liability in pass protection and what we're getting from nick gates right now is not anything that i expected going into this season so this is just a cherry on top this is awesome and that also gives you flexibility to use feliciano at either of the other guard positions if you so choose to i just like having that option because the interior part of the line as much as it has been upgraded since last year it's still one of the biggest and most pressing needs on this giants team Yep, you nailed it, Nick. And one other thing I would say is, based on this film and just what I saw last week, if Neil is slow to come back, and I think he's going to play this week against Washington, I think he was close against Dallas in the short week hurt him. But if Neil has to miss even another game, I would honestly consider moving in Matt Parrott over Tyree Phillips based on what I've seen from the two lately. What are your thoughts on that? I don't hate it. Parrott is going to have plays where you're going to get really pissed off at him. Yes. Plays where he just loses cleanly plays where he is being spun around plays where he looks lost plays where his punch doesn't land, but I still think I prefer him. I think he is a better run blocker maybe than he gets That's credit for. for me. Yep. Yeah. Better run block. I feel like he's a little bit more controlled than Tyree Phillips. And when he is run blocking and it's crazy because when we drafted Matt pair, we were like, Oh man, this guy nimble fee, all this length gonna be a great pass protector. Uh-huh. I still have question marks about his pass protection. I do. But I think what he can add as a run blocker over Tyree Phillips might be just a little, just a little bit better. Not, not too much, but I'd be willing to entertain it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully Neil will come back, but that's all we have for today on the offensive film breakdown. Keep it locked and loaded with big blue banter. We're going to have a little bit of a mini, uh, I guess it's like, you know, the giants have 10 days between their next game. We'll do the defensive film on Monday. I think either Monday or Tuesday, but probably Monday. And then we want to kind of expand to some other things, do like a Washington preview, a long overdue mailbag. I know a lot of people are sending in mailbag questions to me, DM wise. You'll have to send it again when I put the, when I put the tweet out um, and then maybe something else as well, but just keep it locked and loaded. Big game coming up. This is a season-defining game against Washington. I think it's very close to a must-win game. I agree. Take care, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.